there will be no real non-controlled currency in the world. Exciting time to be involved in Bitcoin Cash at the moment. During that whole war, fighting versus big blocks, like were we the bad guys? Were we the ones that went listening? Fundamentally, we believe in markets, transparency, and tokenization. Come on, you gotta come stronger than that, you know, like. Hello and welcome back to the Bitcoin Cash podcast following Bitcoin Cash on its rise to global reserve currency. This is episode number 98, CBDC rollout and resistance featuring Charlie from Resist CBDC. Today is Saturday, the 11th of November, 2023. I'm your host, Jeremy. Jet is doing the producing and monitoring us as we're now live on Twitter and also on YouTube as well as Twitch. So we're going big from now on across every platform. And before we get started today, I just have a quick announcement, which is flipstarter.bitcoincashpodcast.com. We're running our third Flipstarter. Uh, we launched it on the last episode. A few people donated. Cheers to that. But we're way behind the target, which was a bit more ambitious because we got so much positive feedback on the on the previous ones. But it is definitely in need of some donations. So if you've been enjoying the show and you don't want to hear me find some sponsors and then rattle them off for two minutes at the start of every episode, <laughs> now's your chance. Donate to the Flipstarter, uh, flipstarter.bitcoincashpodcast.com. Right, let's get on with it. So today our guest is Charlie, who is a digital rights activist, uh, advocate, I guess, with resistcbdc.com. Welcome to the show, Charlie. How did you get into resisting CBDCs? <laughs> uh, just trying to do my part to resist the uh, pedophile establishing the New World Order through the United Nations and the World Economic Forum. Um, no, like a few years ago, uh, I just like just noticed in like in our own country in the United States, like we weren't we weren't doing like normal politics. There was like something else going on. You could just kind of smell it. It just something didn't smell right. And so I started digging into it and finding other people that were speaking up about it. And um, the more I dug into it, the deeper down the rabbit hole, the bigger of the problem that I actually saw. Um, and I started reading up on critical race theory. That was a thing like three years ago. Um, I just listened to podcasts and whatnot and trying to find people who are making sense. And then, um, you know, because I didn't want to take anybody's word for it. I bought books and papers and started reading them myself and trying to figure out, okay, who's actually speaking truth on this and rather than just doing crap on the interweb. And um, tried talking about it, you know, people I knew, people at my kid's school and whatnot. And it was like, if, if you could you could explain basically race Marxism in like a couple of minutes. It wasn't hard. But if people didn't see how it was applied, it just didn't connect with them. Um, you could try talking to them about like the 2S LGBTQIA movement, which is actually has nothing to do with gay people or gay rights. It's a totally separate deal. Um, you could talk about decolonizing curriculums and world economic forms and the 17 sustainability goals and what people's eyes glazed over, right? But I found out that if you talk to people about digital surveillance, CBDCs, digital ID, cashless economy, people picked up on that in like a minute. 
and they understood it. They could look out at China. They could see it. And if you actually get into the whole Great Reset, what the United Nations and World Economic Forum, World Health Organization are trying to do, it's moved to like total global digital surveillance and control. And I'm like, this is the perfect intro. Because if you get people thinking about that, then whatever problems come in next year, you know, like one of them obvious is mass immigration as being a, a door to push for biometric digital ID. If people are already think about digital surveillance, because I've already talked to them, then when something like that comes in, you don't have to try to meet up with them and explain to them how this issue and the next issue and the next issue are all part of the same movement. They're already seeing it. And you don't have to, you don't have to police people. You don't have to chase people around. Um, you can just honestly trust people to act in their own best interest. Right. So this stuff with critical race theory that you started on, I'm not personally, obviously, any kind okay. of expert in that matter, but I am aware of it because it has been a thing that has kind of come up in sort of academia, right? And probably in a long, you know, arc, maybe from feminism in the 70s, you know, through to where we are today in the 2020s. So I don't know at what point things really started to kind of go downhill, you might say, on, on that arc, right? But it does seem to have then, as a general um, precept, maybe, filtered its way out into the western academia you know specifically universities in in america in the uk in australia you know that's having been a university in australia you know not too long ago that that's more like speaking my language and you can see the influence of that in some parts of academia is that is that the root of the problem in your mind or is that like the first in a set of symptoms or what's happening there um, that's a good question. Um, I look at critical theory. Um, again, you know, queer theory is a branch of that. That's the Q and 2SLGBTQIA, which is a fake acronym, by the way. Um, the critical race theory is just doing critical theory applied to race. And if you look at critical theory in general, it's just kind of like a jackhammer. It's just meant to break the existing society. Um, all critical theories, activism for Marxism. Um, all the critical theorists say this going back to like Max Horkheimer in like the 30s, coming out of the Frankfurt School in Frankfurt, Germany, the Goethe Institute for Social Research. Um, at its core, it's fundamentally uh, like a cult religion that exists to break down the existing order of society, um, built on the premise that everything that exists deserves to perish. That was uh, from Goethe, one of Marx's favorite lines, right? So the utopian condition, heaven on earth, already exist. It's just kind of covered on with scale and rust and dirt debris that has to be stripped away. So what you see is in terms of critical race theory, queer theory, decolonization, a lot of the movements that you're seeing right now, they're really just a way to break down the existing society. And so the thing that you do to break down the United States is going to be a little different than, from the thing you do to break down UK, Australia, Canada, France, whatever. Behind it all is just a desire to break everything. And that's kind of the cult religion part of it. The the part where I don't really know how to answer this is you take somebody like Bill Gates, who's big into pushing all this digital surveillance. Um, is he just pushing a pragmatic power grab or is he actually sort of part of some like cultish religion? Like people like Klaus and um, Yuval Harari, they seem like they're kind of cultist to me. I mean, I don't I've never talked to him, obviously, but um, they seem like they're part of like the one world transhumanist cult side of this when, I don't know, maybe Xi Jinping and Bill Gates just want to see the West commit suicide. So I don't know. Does that answer your question? 
Well, yeah, somewhat. Like, and this is where I think, you know, we're in sort of a, a very gray area here, right? Because I think people like I'm I'm listening to what you're saying, but I can imagine, and even most of my listeners, I think, will be quite serious about what you're saying. But I can imagine other people who are maybe not with as much context or maybe as ideologically sort of aligned with where this is going, kind of trying to write any of this off as like conspiracy theories or anything like that. So I wonder if you could speak a little bit to, do you see this, like uh, you got to think, how, how do things manifest at the practical level, right? So for instance, these people who are in academia who are getting a bit confused with all these weird ideas of that there's a big victim hierarchy and they're always trying to sort themselves to the bottom to, you know, gain uh, status or power within their sort of little domain, you know, the victim Olympics type of idea, right? That's not necessarily related, except indirectly, to some worldwide, like, push in one direction or another. That might just be individual people getting caught up in this sort of ideological tide that they are somehow, you know, naively getting getting caught up in, right? And so then when you say breaking down different societies, there's that could be, like you, you said, maybe some kind of overall uh, targeted movement, or it could just be a part of geopolitics, right? So like China and Russia are definitely interested in the US kind of crumbling apart a bit right. in the same way the US is interested in those societies maybe having a few problems along the way. And if they can stir that up, they will, right? So explain to me how you see things from that lens. Well, there is a, a gigantic movement um, between different nation states in some manner attacking each other. A lot of the critical theory funded in the West is coming straight from China. Um, they fund this through like uh, the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Health and their health equity and health justice movement. Um, the Chans were... Uh, I think it's Rob, Robbie Chan, um, where Chinese people, and you, you know, you dump $300 million, $500 million into Harvard, Harvard's going to teach what you want them to teach. And it's just a way of subverting, you know, what used to be a very prestigious university. I, everything I read now is that Harvard's just gone downhill, and everybody knows that, and no one cares if you have a Harvard degree anymore. Um, so, yeah, there is absolutely the global politics. I think probably what um, maybe to... Uh, leapfrog your question here is that I think to call this a division of the United States versus China versus UK versus France or Israel, or, you know, however you want to divide this up around nation states, I think that's a false division. I think in large part, we see borders on a map and a flag and a national anthem. Um, it seems to me that the people behind the scenes don't divide the world up that way. What you get is kind of convergence entrance interest between, like, say, the deep state in the United States, our intelligence community, which doesn't necessarily serve the interests of the United States. They kind of serve the interests of themselves. Um, in addition to it, I've been reading on this more recently um, in conjunction with other intelligence communities, um, with central banks, with global organized crime. And so a, a big part of this that, that what I'm seeing and kind of digging into is it looks like there are the puppet masters behind the scenes that we don't see. Kind of pulling all of our strings, trying to pit, you know, China versus America, and it's all the Chinese are bad, or Israel versus Gaza, or Russians versus Ukrainians, or whatever it is, just to create that that chaos and that conflict. 
So when we look out, we're fighting with each other because black and white or gay and straight or, you know, whatever it is in our nation is creating that chaos, breaking that social cohesion. Um, but the actual boundaries and borders we should be looking for are the puppet masters pulling the strings versus normal people on the street in tons of countries who are happy just going about their life, doing their thing. Yeah, I mean, they do say that every war is a banker's war, right? Like yeah. the the arms dealers, for instance, they, they don't care who wins, you know, right. who, who lives and who dies, what borders get redrawn, completely irrelevant. Right. As long as the money is flowing to them, right. you know, that's that's kind of a win in their books. And so I am sympathetic, uh, maybe, I don't know if that's even a strong enough word, but I'm inclined towards any kind of, uh, perspective on global politics and on just the state of the world today, which has at least some acknowledgement of the fact that there are certainly, and it's all just people, right? There's no, there's no like aliens from another planet or that's a separate discussion, but there are people who are powerful with a lot of money and a lot of resources and they've got all day to kind of cook up things and, and move things in their direction as we saw, obviously, with the the Twitter files, right? When like when that came out, and a lot uh, for a long time, people had been protesting on Twitter, saying this is manipulated and it's censored, and people are getting banned for these ideas and those ideas. And it, it was all no, 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 that's definitely not happening. Of course, afterwards, once all the internal files came out and stuff, it was proven that the you know the government had direct links into Twitter, asking them to censor things on their behalf, and so on and so forth. So. I'm, you know, I, I I do like this line of thinking, but where I lose the thread of it is you've got to be very careful not to just turn it into like them, you know. A, a, oh, right, right, yeah. Vague, yeah. A vague them. So could you could you dig in a bit more on that? Well, there there is at some point kind of like a network of people behind this. And I I compare it, if you look back at like World War II, right? Um you know, the last major, major conflict. You had uh, a, uh, I think Chairman Mao was in, in position over in China. You had the Japanese emperor. You had Joseph Stalin. You had Roosevelt. You had Churchill. You had a person in charge of a nation that had boundaries. You had a military that had uniforms and a flag. And you could absolutely identify your enemy. And it was, it was very clear. Like, you want to take out the Japanese emperor. We know where they live. We know who's in charge. We know what their flag is. And the way I've seen it, it's really evolved now that the people in charge, the people who are attacking, um, the they, thems, the whatever that is, um, global central banks, the Rothschilds, the Rockefellers, like whoever, whoever it is, the people who are actually pulling the string um, are aware that if they were identified, it'd be a lot easier to take them out. You know, so I think like, I call them the puppet masters, so whoever they are. It's an individual people. I mean, at some point, if we had perfect information, we could fill a room with 100 people or 1,000 people and say, those those guys right there. Um, but I think the way that the, uh, like, I say we're basically in World War III right now, but it's being waged in stealth such that you don't actually see, you know, the attacks the attacks on your nation, whether that be through mass immigration, through inflation, through green energy. Green energy is not about the environment, by the way. And you don't actually see the people who are perpetrating this um, because, you know, I think Klaus Schwab is married into the Rothschild family, but, you know, the, the people in charge don't have YouTube accounts. They're not on Twitter. You know, they don't make the Forbes 400 list. Like you, you never hear about it. that people who are actually in charge 
are hiding out, and that's on purpose. Yeah, so I read a while ago this book, which is a very well known, especially in crypto circles, the creature from Jekyll Island. Oh yeah, I don't know if you know that, right? And yeah. that's that's kind of one. Is that one strand of this, or is this the the root of all of this? Because obviously, being the Bitcoin Cash podcast, you know, that's an easy thing for us to point out and see. Okay, well, here's where a lot of the the corruption like started and is and is coming from you know control the money control the world like uh what's that saying you know i care not who writes a nation's laws if i control as you know right, right, bank yeah. right uh that's so that's one way that i would attack this sort of somewhat generalized sense that the world is heading in the wrong direction is that the lens you see it through um well that i would say is one of them i mean money obviously uh, being if it's a store of wealth and medium of exchange, if you can control and manipulate the currency, then you have effect over just about every aspect of every person's life. And so you can get your tentacles. And part of the way that I look at this um, that I think is uh, probably most helpful is to look at it as a cult, like a global cult religion. Um, if you tie this back into original Marxism, because we hear a lot about Marx now, um, it's where there's just this one big gigantic global hive mind, unity, everybody pulled together in like oneness. Paul Schwab talks about this, this neural implants and this AI controlled, you know, global brain. He's actually talked about it. That's not me. Like I, you go on YouTube, you can find the clips and be like, that's Klaus Schwab talking about it. Um, you can totally get into like the culture side of this, um, which I don't believe that, you know, Xi Jinping or Ayatollah Khomeini are part of that because they obviously have their own agenda. But for the time being, they can be frenemies with people who want to break the West. So, um, yeah, if you look at this as a as kind of cultish manipulation, with one of the key ways of doing that is with through money. Um, coming down the road um, is through carbon credits, carbon wallets, green energy, um, because basically everything, everything in our economy, anything you want to produce, anything you want to consume, anything you want to ship takes energy and has a carbon footprint. So again, now you have a a way that somebody behind the scenes that's invisible you don't see are able to insert themselves in every aspect of every single person's life information media is another way to do that yeah and i know you're a big uh fan of jordan peterson you were talking to me a bit about him uh before the show and he has just recently and i haven't looked into the latest all that's going on there he's doing his arc forum right, whatever right. it is the responsible citizenship right yeah uh, kind of thing and i watched about five minutes or ten minutes of one of the talks they were doing there it was in london i didn't actually get a chance to go but part of me you know maybe the next one or i don't know if you could even buy a ticket right but they they had that uh from the limo to pick you up no <laughs> no i was not on the on the vip guest guest list at least at least not yet but the ice next year <laughs> yeah well that's right i'm sure this is going to be an on ongoing thing he talks a lot uh, or at least, especially recently, I don't know so much in the past that he did, but he's come onto this idea of this kind of degrowth uh, agenda, you know, that a lot of the stuff that might be around energy or around, uh, you know, population growth right. or, or so on is just kind of comes down to this fundamental understanding, at least in my view, that, you know, you can have a scarcity or an abundance mindset, right? If you believe that the world has limited resources and everybody's competing over them in this sort of 
um, state of nature type of thing, then it all just becomes, you know, I, I win at somebody else's loss. Right. And right. It, so it's hard. Yeah, it's hard to run a society like that, right? You can only run an effective growing society over time if the majority of people, and especially the people with the most influence, are able to understand as the foundation of economics, you know, that you and I can make a trade and we can both come out better for it. So with new ideas, which is a, an infinite resource, right, we can always come up with new ideas. And in fact, the more people you have, the more ideas you can have, right? right? Uh, and more technology, you can raise the standard of living for everybody. But for right. that, you need to have a fundamentally positively geared perspective, right? right? Yeah, so like free markets around the world, um, which is basically just free people. There's a reason why people who have some form of democracy, constitutional republic here in the United States, always goes with free markets because it's just a matter of individual freedom, civil rights, where the uh, like the governing authority um, is subservient to the individual. Uh, in our constitution, it's explicitly to secure the rights of the individual. Um, I'm not sure what English common law looks like. Um, with the coming out of like the, the World Economic Forum and they, you know what the Club of Rome is? Limits to growth. The what? No, no, Club of I, Rome. I oh, it goes back until I think 1972, 73, they published their book Limits to Growth and Klaus Schwab back when he established the World Economic Forum, I think it was called the European Economic Forum or European whatever back in the 71, 72. Um, he's been on this shtick for like 50 years now of we're all running out of resources. Um, there's too many people on the planet. Um, we're going to run out of oil by the 1970s, and we're going to run out of copper by the 1980s, and you know, so on and so forth. Um, and we haven't. Now, um, unfortunately, where Schwab is going with this is that they can identify a lot of problems, right? But their solutions suck. It's not that they aren't pointing out problems. You know, at some point, we're going to hit peak oil, peak fossil fuels. Exactly, is that 2010, 2020, 2030? At some point, um, you know, you can't go in the last 50 years go from like three billion people to eight billion people on the planet and expect this is just going to keep, you know, astronomically going up. I think I've heard the population is supposed to pop around nine, maybe 10 billion, and then kind of taper off. Um, so there are, you know, absolutely problems out there, including you want to say uh, pollution in the ocean, pollution in the air, overfishing. Um, the issue is that for 50-something years, Klaus and his Malthusian death cult, they've been wrong about every single prediction. And it just so turns out that the solution that they have for every problem is that they get to be in charge of everything, almost like they're, you know, at the tip of a cult. They have to tell everyone what to do, and everyone else has to be impoverished with degrowth and their low-carbon footprint. Um, you know, had they had they been making accurate predictions for 50 years, I might take them more seriously. If their solution didn't, you know, they didn't keep talking about depopulation, I might take them a little more seriously. So that's why I'm hoping like maybe Jordan Peterson, some of his, you know, some of the people he's in contact with can actually come up with some like actual positive practical solution that, you know, doesn't lead to some sort of dystopian hellhole. Yes. And it, it is to me perhaps just the modern incarnation of the perpetual struggle between authoritarians and right. you know the sort of opposite whether you call it i don't know libert i don't really want to say libertarians because that's not really the right word that's that's associated wrongly but just the opposite of author you know authoritarians are not essentially and 
when you have that struggle all throughout history, it makes sense to me that you would clear because clearly there's some part of human nature that that has that wired into it. You know, there's going to be a segment of the population that through nature or nurture comes to believe they want to be the top dog in control of everyone by coercive means if necessary and another section of the population that just wants to be left alone and clearly nature you know evolution smarter than all of us decided that there's benefits to both right if you had a you couldn't necessarily even persist human society if you didn't have a few people that had that drive to get to the top you know that's the same drive that creates technology and adventure and exploration and things like that as well too, you know, competition. So it is a bit of a yin and a yang, you know, perpetual cycle. But as we are here today, <laughs> the relevant thing obviously comes down to CBDCs as a as a means of of control, right? So as a result of your as a so that's what I'm saying is it came from from looking into this background and all these different you know, trends that you were concerned about in the world, you just happened to hit on that CBDCs was the one thing that people would really respond to or why has that, because that's what your branding is and stuff like that. Why did that attract your attention more than any of these other, like you could have made it a right, right, right. political thing or an energy thing? EDCs again instead of wandering off into <laughs> no no this is this is very interesting right I do I do like getting this background but I'm just trying to piece it together for myself right. and and for the viewers how out of all of these things CBDCs became the thing that you put in the branding and you put front and center well I just started honestly like I mentioned earlier just read a bunch of books listen to podcasts um you know trying to see who's making sense of this. And then I'd go out there and I'd be talking to people. So what I'm doing now is probably the fourth or fifth iteration of what I was doing. Because um, overwhelmingly, the biggest problem I found, well, I live here in California, right? It's, you know, California, it's not San Francisco and LA. It's not, you know, drag queens, gay stuff everywhere. California's biggest economic product is agriculture. You know, we're just a farming powerhouse. Um, it's not all the tech stuff. Um, so we have a whole lot of like normies just running around California. And I'm out there trying to talk to them and, you know, relate to them and see where I can go with this and get people to wake up. Because the, the biggest problem I'm seeing is that the culture war is so stealth, like, and the language games are so stealth that people can't see them coming in until you learn to see how the manipulations are being worked. You know, like diversity is not about diversity. You know, inclusion is not about inclusion. Equity is not about equity. It, these are all just very Orwellian language games. Um, so when you have the trying hang to on, so hang on, can you can you elaborate on that sure. a little bit more? I sort of uh, see where you're going with this, but just to be clear, what do you mean when you say that that you know inclusion is not inclusion or diversity is not diversity? So equity is going to be the most obvious one. That just means equality of outcome. Um, and nowhere in the history of any living thing anywhere on planet Earth throughout the history of time has equality of outcome ever occurred. That's the basis of evolution. So equity is a game for power. For who gets to decide who gets to be made equal. And then the way that always turns out, that's just from each and everyone according to their ability, each and everyone according to their need. It's just only now it's not about need and ability, it's about equity. Um, yes. It's a power play. And as it turns out, whoever gets to decide what counts as equity gets to decide what to measure. And they'll measure something which supports the people that are supporting them or gives stuff to people that are supporting them and it harms the people that oppose them. 
So if you get into critical theory, um, like the whole culture war, the whole language game, the postmodern side of that, um, diversity means you have to have authentic diversity. So you can't just have a token black person who shows up or a black conservative or a black Christian. They have to be a black person with the proper political, religious orientation. So diversity actually means uniformity of thought. You have yeah. to have the, the proper perspective. And they just they happen to be black or they happen to be gay or they happen to be woman or they happen to be pick pick your thing. It's about going into an organization, promoting diversity and bringing in people that have the proper political religious orientation. Um, inclusion is the flip side of that. So anybody who opposes the new political religious orientation isn't making it an inclusive organization and you purge them, push them out. So diversity means uniformity of thought. Inclusion means purging. And this is the game. You just cycle this through a police department, military, school, whatever, and eventually you end up with all the people in the core positions have the same mindset. Yes. And, and until someone sees it and goes, oh, this is a manipulation, you're, you're just picking people who, who all think the same. You don't care if they're black or gay or old or young. It doesn't matter. You're going you're gonna to pick an identity category and say, oh, that person's being authentically whatever it is because they want to, say, disrupt and dismantle the intersecting systems of oppression. I don't know if you've heard some of that language before. I've heard that that language okay. before. I mean, when 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 you're saying like uh, what you just explained, it just rang you know uh, through to me in terms of uh, you know George Orwell has his famous book Animal Farm, right? And the pigs there they take over control with the slogan "All animals are equal," but some are more equal some than are more others, equal. right? Yeah. And that's right. And the yeah. pigs are the ones who are more equal and they end up at the top and they end up becoming right. the masters right. of the farm, replacing the the humans. Right. So it's just it's a similar that that's sort of the process yeah. that you're describing that we've under, we've seen in society. And you can also see examples of that with obviously now maybe you and I are not maybe the best <laughs> the best uh, poster childs for this point of view. But there are people like, for instance, Vivek Ramaswamy at the moment oh, yeah. running for U.S. political office. He spends a lot of his time saying, I don't want to be seen as the token ethnic person. Like the fact that you are even framing things in that way is not an advantage to me. It's actually sort of discriminatory against me. You can't just see me for as Vivek, you know, from that you have to try and like if he talks to left wing media, they try and put him in those boxes or frame him in that way. And he's saying, no, the true sort of um, strength in diversity is when people can be recognized for who they are, not as the representative of some assigned beliefs according to a box that they've been right, yeah, yeah. put in, right? Right. So here in the United States, I mean, there's a uh, there's a giant manipulation going on. Like we mentioned, you know, the manipulation targeted at the UK is going to be different from the manipulation targeted at the United States. But if you actually dig into it, um, I live in here in California. And the largest ethnic group is actually Hispanic. Like Europeans are actually in second place. Um, and you go into like um, polls of Hispanic people, the majority of them don't want illegal immigration. They want a secure border. If you go into uh, like polling for like black people, the majority of them don't like all this super duper affirmative action because most people just want to be treated like a normal person and get by on their merit. What you get is in the media, you know, out of 330 million people in the United States, you can find a handful handful of chunderheads who are doing something terrible and put that on the you know put that on the screen, or you can find their token black gay intersectional what and put that person on the screen and be like, oh, this person speaks for all blacks or all whites or all. If you step back and you actually go look, okay, what's the data? What's actually going on here? And you actually look at polling, 
throughout the years, you find a really common pattern that most people are pretty chill and most people don't like these stupid games. It's it's the tail wagging the dog, honestly. Like, but throughout the Western world. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so now we've we're getting to a point where there's been a significant shift in the media landscape, partially as a as a response to that, I would posit, you know, like if these things go through cycles, right? So maybe YouTube 10 or 15 years ago was far more sort of open than it is right. now. It's far more controlled and locked down than it was. But even in the state that it is, it's still uh, much easier for people to find, you know, such and such alternative media or podcasts or whatever on there with huge reach that are able to push back against the television networks and so on, and in fact, have probably largely surpassed them, certainly in terms of relevance in the conversation, but maybe also, you know, in audience size and in visibility and, you know, attractiveness to advertisers and so on, right? And then, but now the control is is coming onto those things more and more firmly, right? And there will have to be a next step in the in the game. Do you have any thoughts about the media element of all of this? Um it's absolutely the case. So the way I see it is anytime you get um, an organization, an institution, anything that builds up like a store of wealth, you can talk about um, a brand new train line, uh, a bunch of silos full of grain, um, or more recently, um, that would be kind of like a classical Marxist perspective. More recently, you could say the trust that people had in CNN or the openness that was YouTube, that gets co-opted and subverted and controlled to start pushing a message. Um, so at the core of all this is, if you go back far enough, um, learn to like the 18th century, um, it goes back to blank slated, where the world could be anything it anything it wanted to be. There is no essence to germ. There is no there is no thing in your brain that's just part of who you are. Everything about you is part of the social construction. And you kind of feel the language carry through from uh, old school Marxism, vulgar Marxism, into like the postmodern. So if you get into like the cult aspect of this, the society can be made anything you want it to be. You just have to start programming people with the proper message and at the same time erasing the improper message. That's um, in 1984, every picture is repainted, every street's renamed. Well, we're seeing that right now. Like, you know, James Bond can't be a white guy anymore. It's not like you can have James Bond, a British Secret Service guy, and he's just the next iteration. Is that you have to erase that and install the the next version, which cannot be a, a white dude. You, you can't just make a brand new secret agent guy who happens to be, pick your thing, like whatever, run with it, make, make a cool story. Um, so you see the erasure of the old, the imposition of the new, um, it, kind of in the culture realm. So what we're doing right now is uh, a war in the cultural economy rather than the physical economy, because um, we're in kind of a, a, a social revolution, cultural revolution through information and media. Um, is that making sense? I don't know if I'm explaining this. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this is all like uh, really good stuff. I'm just, I'm just very cognizant that I have my certain background and understanding, and I'm not. I know it a bit about it, but I'm not the deepest on, especially not you know cultural history or political history or anything like that. And certainly, I think some of my viewers definitely going to be thinking like, this is, this is too many different strands of things going on at once. So let's 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 maybe just. Uh, 
take another run at it just going from from the start and i think this will tie it together a bit so what you were saying was uh you have essentially people have this idea of nature versus nurture what makes us who we are uh you know some of it is inbuilt you're born your parents where you were born you know what uh inbuilt talent you might have for yeah. a musical instrument you pick up or a proclivity whatever it is uh, and then some of it is obviously nurture, right? You can be taught things, you can be exposed to cultural phenomena, and you learn and adapt and, and conform to certain norms, right? So if in the 18th century you had people who believed, you know, that model is wrong, and instead there is no nature, everything, right, yeah. people are just come into the world as like, yeah, blank slate, just a blank a slate, clean yeah. sheet of paper, and anything can be written and imprinted on there, then that's an opportunity for somebody who had that philosophy plus an right. authoritarian bent to try and create the world in a certain way now then that then comes into the political theory and you have like Karl Marx and eventually sort of communism which we saw mostly in the 20th uh, century you know with uh, people taking over power and trying to impose those social structures against right, yeah. the more traditional liberal in the old in the old sense uh western democracy of you know free market capitalism and representative government private property yeah property rights exactly exactly and so then that uh battle has been obviously going on in its various iterations such as world war ii and etc etc and then now you've got to uh the modern era where perhaps maybe because of nuclear weapons or maybe because of the proliferation of the internet you instead of having the war be able to be fought in the way World War II or the Vietnam War was fought, or the even the um, the Cold War, you know, it, it, like we, we're past that stage and we're into the stage of informational warfare over people's minds through media and money, right? Um, yeah. So I mean, like we could have we could talk for days about this stuff. So if I'm short certain short circuiting something, by all means. Like, let me know. I'm trying to like not waste your. I know we're trying to. No, no, no. We're trying. Like, we're trying. This, this, is, one this is good. I'm enjoying this. <laughs> so we're we're living through a time when um you know the ideology behind this still assumes that you're a blank slate, um and you see this probably in queer theory, which is not about gay people and saying it's okay to be gay. It's about creating queer people, people who reject normal, um and it explicitly includes pedophilia. So I bring that up, um. Because, like, a natural human instinct is to understand that, like, kids aren't sexual. Like, you're a dude. I, I'm, I don't know if you're straight or whatever. Um, I am. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, like you see a cute 25-year-old girl walk around. You're like, she's 25. She's cute. Like, you don't feel the same way when you see a 10-year-old. It's like there's, there's – it's just, it's just not there. And that's natural human instinct. Um, you know, uh, with, like, the queer theorists, I think of as people who just the brains don't work. They have a mental health disorder. As it turns out, it tends to be a cluster B personality disorder. And they don't understand why the world won't allow them to have sex with kids. They don't understand why it is they have to get up out of bed every day and take a shower and go get a job. You know, they just don't understand. They're, they're oppressed by the very nature of the world, by reality itself. And so it's reality itself that has to be destroyed. So that kind of gets into the like the blank slate queer theory side of it, which kind of um it's a small piece of it, but you can kind of see the humans who just, they, they just don't know how to human and it's society itself that has to change. So it's a total, an external locus of control. Yes. 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 So I 
like, I like this framing of locus of control because that's a very uh, simple, I think, very effective way of seeing the world, which is to say that <laughs> there's essentially two options. Whenever you encounter a problem in your life, as we all do, you have two options. You either have an internal locus of control. Well, I'm at least partially responsible for this. Like, let's say, I I don't know, I go outside and I like run into somebody. I can think, wait, I wasn't looking where I was going. So that's why I ran into uh, this guy who was walking the other way. Or you can have an external locus of control. You can uh, choose to recuse uh, responsibility and say, who's this idiot? He walked into me. He wasn't looking. He was careless. I was just going about, I was blameless. I was just going about my day, but he didn't look and he ran into me, right? And you can manipulate, extend that across everything in life. Is is it your responsibility or are you just going to push it onto someone else? Now, it gets a bit fuzzy at the areas once you get to sort of religion and uh, destiny and fate and that that kind of thing, you know, at a certain point, people wonder how much is really in their control and how much is not. But certainly you have control over your own attitude uh, at the very least, I think we would all say. And so I guess you're making the argument that the people with this blank slate theory, rather ironically, despite believing that everything can be imprinted in any way, also would tend to believe that it's not their fault if they can't fit into society what they've kind of done is just taken like the old school concept of god the thing which has complete dominion over your whole life like i'm, I'm not christian i'm one of the nuns um but if you think you know yahweh is out there yahweh is infinitely powerful yahweh can do to germany whatever yahweh wants to do and there's nothing germany's going to do about it um which you get nowadays is the same mindset has kind of morphed from that religious perspective through hegel and marx and then through the critical theories and stuff is that now it's the structures of society. So for example, here in the United States, we have structural racism. The whole structure of society is racism. The whole system is racist. And that's why there's per capita more black people in jail. It's not that somebody committed crime and somebody got arrested and they're guilty or they're not. It's that the whole system and structure of society, the thing which has dominion over you, was built by white people, capital W, white, which means Europeans and Asians, to oppress people of color. That means African and Hispanic people. Um, and it's just a way of creating an external locus of control, zero internal responsibility. The whole problem is outside of me. It's societal structures itself. It's the United States itself. It's the Constitution itself. It's our national borders itself. The whole concept of civil rights and private property, which are rejected by the critical theorists and the critical race theorists, the whole idea of a church, the whole idea of a family unit, um, all those things are rejected and they're considered part of this oppressive system. And if you actually look at it and you trace this back to guys like Gramsci and Marcusa, all they're doing is saying, what is it that makes Western civilization work or the United States work if you're targeting the United States? That would be the family unit, a constitution, national borders, try to you know work hard, um, try to have a fair police system, all that. And so call those things the worst thing you can think to call them. And in America, that's racist. So it's just it's just it's a culture war against the things that makes the United States successful. That's what they're trying to tear down. Yes, yes, okay. And I was just yeah, well from from my point of view, you know, I think it's often a, a bit of A and a bit of B. Like it can often these things are a, a cycle often. So it can be the case and I would be very sympathetic to any argument that there is actually some institutionalized racism in America. I think that's probably very likely. But, and there's a key element 
to it. That's also in part perpetuated by the fact that people believe there is a bias against them. So they act in a way expecting that and that contrib- and then that makes the problem worse because then you have other people saying like, oh, well, if we, you know, we're seeing these uh, lopsided outcomes, but the people involved are refusing to accept any accountability. And then that creates a further like bias and you can kind of go around in circles like that. So it is a bit of A and a bit of B. And the the, the question is, how do you get out of that cycle? Well, it's hard to do on either side, right? And that's a, that's a good point. So what you have is called strategic equivocation or the Mountain Bailey. Um, it's just a strategy to destroy the West. The truth of the matter is, is that in the United States, we have tons of problems. We have race problems. We have sex problems, gender problems, poverty problems. I mean, every country on planet Earth has problems. You know, the West is probably, or at least until recently, was doing the best at trying to solve those problems. Um, the issue is that these operate like a Trojan horse. Somebody can look at, say, George Floyd, and therefore, you know, you know the George Floyd story, the guy who died in Minneapolis. Okay. Um, yeah, roughly, roughly speaking, I, you know, right, right. So sparked all about, the Black Lives Matter and stuff. He got he got killed by the police, right? Yeah. So you can talk about this George Floyd incident or something and with 330 million people. I think our police make 10 million arrests a year or something like that. Like you're going to have screwed up situations, but it's not about going through in this case, the police and going over each and every police department and saying, which ones work, which ones aren't working, what needs to be fixed because it's not about fixing. It's not about building up. It's about tearing down. So therefore it's not, you can't say like the Los Angeles or Miami police departments, maybe they're doing great, right? Hey, don't defund them. They're doing great. Go to Minneapolis Police Department and like fix the problems. It's not about that. It's about defund the police because you want to get rid of the police. Can I help? Does in that make sense? Just a second. Yeah, go on. I'm I'm curious. So the things. So I'm I'm operating under a couple assumptions. One that the the system is really a like chain of many different systems that kind of have different states and can interact uh, with each other in a way that like the, the main uh, goal of the overall structure is to keep itself alive. So I think the conflict and chaos that people experience is actually a good thing because it's a sign that the system is, well, there is this top down kind of uh, direction. It's, it can't update all at once. So the people that are involved in it kind of like, especially as just we age, we get comfortable. We have our own belief systems that uh, I think solidify more and more. And so the conflict, especially like generational conflicts, I think is just a symptom of the fact that, uh, yeah, the system can't update all at once. And that's a good thing that that chaos means that people like individuals do have a little more control than I think we want to tell ourselves. Does that make sense? Um, a little bit. I mean, if you get down into the, I'm talking about like the like the critical theory cultish part of it. It is about establishing an external locus of control. Um, that external locus of control just replaced God. And the trick is people who want to destroy the West or the United States are going to make the external locus of control 100% corrupt. It's going to be the structure of the United States itself or the UK or any Western nation and just try to create an army of people to tear that down. Um, very similar to Mao in China and well, prior to 66, whenever he came into power. Similar concept, though. 
Yeah, I think that, I don't know if this actually clarifies any, but the thing that I'm trying to say is the overall system has already pivoted. So it's not necessarily that there's um, this old system to actually defend. It's there are individuals that need to kind of uphold their own beliefs if they if they want to carry out their lives in whatever way that they have kind of developed for themselves, like their own perspective of the world. Um, and uh, I think that's really the best we can do because the, the incentives, the incentive structure of the system itself is to always keep it alive, right? That's the kind of the neat trick, right? <laughs> well, I think there's like two definitions of two definitions of systems here. So you get like the critical theory definition, which is not actually a thing. So you could just call it the culture. There's no person behind it. There's no agency behind it. It's just a way of saying that the current society I live in is utterly corrupt, but it's this nebulous, amorphous concept. You can't actually put your finger on on, a, on an issue. Um, in practical terms, yeah, there are people in positions of power who are corrupt, who need to be you know kicked out. And then there's normies on the street who just want to live their life and have an internal locus of control and do the best they can. Um, so, you know, my, my goal would be to get people to see past the fluffy language, Marxism, a lot of fluffy language about this amorphous corrupted system, the they, them, the structures of society. I mean, this is easy for anyone to do, right? Um, and actually start focusing on real people and real problems and real solutions. Um, like, uh, Jeremy and I were talking about, uh, before it's similar with like the environment. I mean, there's plenty of issues actually going on with the environment that actually need to be addressed. What you're finding is that those issues are being grifted off of for actual people to take actual power. And kind of the thing is to get individual citizens focused on the wrong target. You know, instead of focusing on the corrupt people, focus on the systemic systems of institutional structures and defund the police rather than go, no, 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 that's a dumb idea. We actually have a few bad cops here and a couple bad teachers and a couple bad politicians. Get those, get them out and put good people in those positions. Right. Okay. All right. This is making this is making a lot of sense to me because essentially yeah this is a strong position that the the world is is and always will have problems and we should yeah. attack those problems as a logical case-by-case -case individual basis Perfect. and your contention is that a lot of people in the world have been blinded by this sort of cultural you know propaganda or sense or media or however you want to put it right. to make them feel like there's some amorphous oppression that they're under which distracts them and makes it also that they sort of uh advocate for causes or they push in a direction that they might not realize is right. harmful uh as opposed to just being able to see through the fog of all that bullshit and just on a on a case-by-case -case basis address some problems okay good i love that that's a that's an excellent uh, point, and we we do have to check in on the Bitcoin price because we do that on every episode. Uh, but I think you're the one looking at the clock, so you run with it. Yes, no, no, this is this is great. I, you know, we always have the guests give a bit of an introduction, a bit of a background. This has been quite different to what we usually have, but I think it's it's been really it's been really good, and I think it sets the stage for what what we're about to talk about. Okay, so <clears throat> price of Bitcoin today, USD two hundred thirty seven dollars and six cents. Which is stable one BCH. One BTC buys 155.9 BCH and one Ethereum buys 8.6 BCH. So we're down slightly on the BTC and ETH ratio. Just because I ask every guest, do you have any interest in trading cryptocurrencies or the volatility of the markets in that regard? 
Uh, no, not my. Okay, cool. Done. Moving on. Next topic. Right. So you have seen all these different uh, problems. This, this, you've identified these things in the world, and you obviously, with an internal locus of control, decided that you would take action. So you've started at this site, resistcbdc.com, which is an informational website which has flyers that people can print off and hand out to people, right. and it also has information about advocating for a digital bill of rights, I guess, in, in America, but anybody could apply the same thing in their own country and trying to create some awareness, I guess, and movement towards rights being enshrined in law, such as there not being a penalty for not using a CBDC, yeah. for the right to privacy. And interestingly, you also had one about AI that people should always have the option to use AI if they want to, but the option to avoid it if they didn't want to, too. So it seems to me like you're concerned about some kind of uh, system where, you know, we all had to use AI to interact with a government service or, or something like that as well, too. So on a, on a practical level, what is this Resist CBDC site about? Well, if you take a look at, like, um, the, I'll just, as a general term, like the Great Reset, you guys know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Coming from the United or uh, the World Economic Forum. Um, the overall movement is to uh, a digitization of the entire world, or at least the entire Western world for now. Um, that means total surveillance, tracking, control, and ultimately manipulation. You know, when you get to the point where um, every movie can be something like AI generated, like we all get our own movie, we all get our own books, we all get our own podcasts, which means we can all be manipulated with the thing that motivates us the most. Um, what you're seeing right now as well is uh, a huge push for data collection. Um, I see this in like kids' school. A lot of the social and emotional learning surveys are just the gigantic data mining surveys to get a digital ID on each and every person, track their academic progress, track their emotional state through 13 years of K-12 education, um, and then use that as a manipulation to see who gets into college, who gets a job. So if you if you look at this, if you had enough computing power, whatever the supercomputer that is, and you had a built-out digital ID, digital psychological, <clears throat> excuse me, model of every individual person, you can now manipulate that person infinitely. Um, so if you look at it right now, it's really easy. Like you're searching something on your phone and you go home and you log into your computer and you get those free ads of what's the thing you were searching on your phone. And somehow Amazon, Google, and YouTube, like they're all talking to each other. I don't know how they know, but they know. Well, imagine that on steroids. So that's the direction all this is going. Um, and that's the reason why um, you see protests in the street and Black Lives Matter burning stuff down. They don't, it's not about helping black people, obviously. You can go look at like how this turned out. The 2S LGBTQ movement is not about helping gay people. Um, it's just about breaking down society such that this digital social credit system can be installed. Create the chaos, provide the solution to the chaos. Um, you can see this in mass immigration, that's a push for digital ID. Green energy is a push for shortages in raffinity for something like universal basic income and central bank digital currency. So once you kind of start getting a picture of like what the overall worldview is, the Dutch farmer protest, that's food shortages, that's rationing. That's what, it's not actually about the environment. The Dutch farmers are some of the cleanest farmers on the planet. You go, okay, I know where this goes. A gigantic digitally managed society. How do I get people thinking about digital management? How do I get people thinking about a social credit system? Because if they can wrap their heads around that, then in the next coming years, 
I don't know what problems we're facing, but I know what the solution to every one of those problems are going to be. It's going to be some way to break down your civil rights, break down your national borders, break down your ability to think for yourself and do for yourself such that you are managed. Um, and, you know, we're basically moving into a point where the communist commissars aren't people with guns and uniforms. It's your phone. It's your Internet connection. Um, so you see a big push on this one, for example, is a push for uh, making computer chips throughout the world. I was even seeing something where they were trying to make them in Ethiopia, of all places, not just Taiwan. I think Taiwan makes like 80, 90 percent of the computer chips, right? Um, because the idea is your coffee pot and your washing machine and your car and everything gets chipped, everything gets interconnected, everything can get turned off if you are saying the wrong things on social media, right? So if you can get people thinking about this, without having an hours long conversation about critical theory and postmodernism and whatnot, because, you know, if you start talking about 2SLGBTQIA, like me, I don't care if you're gay, I could give, it, give a crap, um, but you're going to piss people off and they're going to shut down and then they're still not going to be thinking about a social credit system. So my whole thing was how do you get people thinking about a social credit system now? They can pick up on it in a minute. No one likes it. No one wants this. No one's going to be fighting over blacks and white and, who gets a social credit system, who's in, you know, UK versus Germany and, you know, nobody wants this stuff. So how do you get people thinking about that total digital surveillance in a way that it sticks with them and then they know what to look for going forward? That's the direction I was going. Yes. Okay. So this, and I agree with you that definitely the world is trending into this big data collection kind mm -hmm. of system and also an internet of things. Right sort of vibe where more and more things are going to be internet connected now there's certainly an element to which i would say that is kind of inevitable because we're not really going to see okay i'm going to go into my farming community and we're all going to go off the grid and live okay. like the amish right that's right. not going to work at least only for a few people and the rest of humanity is going to power off on its interconnected uh you know, globally connected, internet reliant society. So I guess my question is, so you see that there's potentially these huge problems like we already have in China in terms of I wouldn't want to live in that society. And I'm sure most people wouldn't want to either if they could appreciate the scale of what's going on there. So it's more about creating the awareness to ensure we don't tip away sort of their civil liberties and there is a resistance. Yeah rather than trying to say we need to stop this or turn it off in some ways is that is that right well yeah i mean a lot of the technological progress is going to happen regardless there's going to be neural implants for example and you know if your grandma has alzheimer's disease or you had a spinal cord injury like we want those neural implants there's a there's a good piece to that um the issue is that i compare it to like say you know 1776 when we had our War of Independence. Like people could look around and see British soldiers with guns stopping you from saying what you wanted to say, going where you wanted to go, doing what you wanted to do. And that was a physical world. And people could see what was going on. And they wanted a constitution with a Bill of Rights that gave him um, protections against that. Well, what we're dealing with now is everything becomes digitized. We have the same problem. Who's going to be imposing their will upon us, but in a digital realm? You know, so um, the biggest problem I found is that most people don't recognize the threat. They don't see what's what's happening. Now, a lot of people are suspicious. A lot of people know something's up. Um, they can see China. They can see the capitalist economy. You, you know, you pay with your palm at the grocery store. That's real convenient. Over here, we've got cameras all over the buildings and whatnot. People can sense there's something up. 
but they don't really know how to wrap their heads around like the scope and the skill where this is going. Um, you know, if you pay attention to Klaus Schwab, he plans on consolidating the West and the United Nations World Economic Forum, building up China, and then merging the two, and they ain't got their one world digitally controlled government. Um, that might be 20 years, 50 years down the road. I don't know. Um, but you can kind of see see the direction this is going. Um, and it just really means that there's some humans out there trying to impose their will upon other people. And a couple hundred years ago, that involved muskets. And there's a people out there nowadays trying to impose their will, their Gnostic vision of what the world's supposed to look like upon everybody else. We're all serfs. We're all feudal subjects. They're trying to do it digitally. So it's just a matter of getting normal people on the street to go, I get it. I get that there's a thing going on. I get the digital control. How do we fight back? How do we push back? And then ultimately, I'm pushing for something like a bill of digital rights, um, where it's like civil rights, but it's just for like the 21st century, you know, because we're not doing, I call it, we're, we're way past internet 1.0 at this point. You know, we're not logging on yeah. to AOL to send an email. You know, we're, we're way past that. And it's time we just need like a broad understanding throughout the public that there is a threat. The convenience is the lure. This is about tracking and control. There's a grift behind all these actual problems, the fake solutions behind real problems. And people need to start getting more involved, more aware that there's actually an issue. Now, one thing I've got to ask you about is I think when I looked at this and when you explained it to me there, I'm fascinated that your chosen route in some respect is awareness. I love that. And then a legal angle. So do you, given all of what you said before, do you have strong faith that given something could get enshrined into law, that that would kind of be enough? Like we've already seen you know, like the, the, what's it called? Uh, like the Bill of Rights and the Constitution and stuff like that are only sort of as good as the culture that backs it up. Right, yeah. yeah. Right? So if you're worried that society is potentially being culturally co-opted, why do you think a legal enshrinement would really help to protect people's rights? That is a That's a perfect question. So the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, the way they're written, they're better understood as a form of conflict resolution, where we all understand that I've got the right to go to church or not go to church or walk down the street or not walk down the street, that my money, my house, my tools, my life are mine, yours are yours. And if you step into my space, I own firearms, I can kill you. If I step into your space, I would expect the same in return. When we both understand what's going on, we codify into law a form of conflict resolution. That's called like the Constitution. Um, and we just say, you know what, we're going to live our own lives and we're going to come together, um, for the police, the city hall, whatever, to like patrol the streets, to make sure, you know, when criminals on the street and you fill the potholes in the street, right? Basic stuff like that. Um, but you start with a fundamental understanding where, where all parties, or at least the majority of the people in society recognize the threats, um, recognize the value of private property, recognize the value of free speech. And they all agree that that's, you know, there's some sacred areas that you just don't impose your will upon someone else. So were we to have something like another constitutional amendment here in the United States that talks about a bill of digital rights, that comes after you have widespread understanding that there actually is a problem. Because again, if no one reads the constitution, no one knows what's in there, it doesn't mean anything. What you have to do is have a whole bunch of very capable, ordinary people who are physically healthy, mentally healthy, financially healthy. They've got their house, their money. Um, they're, they've got their privacy, they've got 
the right to bear arms, whatever that is. And they all agree to just live free and leave each other alone. And that agreement is the written law of the Constitution. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. Okay. So you're saying that the law, you're you're pushing for a law, but really that in the end, that would be like the capstone to a successful cultural mission rather than being the actual point in it or the defense in and of itself. Uh, and that 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 makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I can. First and foremost, you got to live with a whole bunch of people who recognize the value of private property and yes. freedom of speech and the digital. Yes, 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 no, and that's uh, very similar. We'll get it. We'll get onto this, but that's very similar to to Bitcoin. Jet, what are you going to say? Yeah, there's one thing that, or like, I also can appreciate what you're trying to accomplish here, but um, I would also suggest that there's an importance to not just highlighting a resistance but an alternative because it's not it's not like this is uh asking for permission right it's this like can we please make sure that these things don't uh get corrupted but with the same things with the same tools that you're using they're the sorry with the same tools that they're using to manipulate narratives and kind of uh, push people to behave and think in certain directions. There are ways that we can avoid all of that. Like we don't need to participate in their systems now. We just need more people to participate in these alternative systems. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yes. So that's, that's a good point. So what I do is I try to talk to people about it um, briefly. One of the things I do here real quick um, is a thing you can download on the website. I print these up. I like yellow my favorite color, um, throw up my wallet and spin cash. And so when I'm buying a coffee or lunch or whatever, right, I just throw a 20 on the counter, talk to the person for like 30 seconds about digital surveillance and CBDCs. And they're like, oh, okay, I didn't know. Um, leave them a little piece of paper they can read. Um, sometimes people blow me off. I've had, you know, one minute conversations where people go, yeah, that's a social credit system. And I go, yeah, that's exactly what it is. Um, so you kind of get a little bit of anxiety in people, maybe a little bit of concern. Um, and then you give them a solution, like you're saying, um, a bill of rights, a bill of digital rights and alternate systems, whether that be currency or media or whatever. So you kind of get like, yeah, there's a negative here, but there's also a positive in the other direction that we can start moving towards. Rather than just showing up and saying problem, problem, freak out and don't provide any solutions. Yes. Okay. All right. Yeah. No, this is all, this is all makes sense. And we'll, we'll come back around to the, the solutions and stuff. Uh, but so let's just talk a little bit more. We, already t- touched a little bit about it but the digital id right so the game plan <laughs> game plan in quotation marks and it's the way it's going is that people are increasingly going to be tracked and have sort of an aggregate digital footprint right i think that's pretty undeniable because you can even see in the last 10 years of the internet how things have gone from you just have it different account to a few different sites many sites didn't even require accounts and so on and so forth to now more and more like the large social media sites are the major players in the online discussion other websites you can often log in with those same credentials right so it's already linked and even easier than before to track google id works across the board that's right exactly sign in with google id one password one-stop shop for everything which is very convenient but as is always the case convenience is the trade-off of you know security and uh, lack of control right so 
that's clearly the direction things are going in. And maybe I want to get your comment on a lot of people said, like, well, with the whole pandemic, that that was going to be a key crisis point in which people are already in fear and they're already disrupted and so on, that that was where there was going to be some introduction of digital ID systems. Now, we didn't, well, I, it's, whether we did or didn't see that is probably, I guess, debatable because to, in some countries was, there was, was and, yeah, that's right. In some countries there wasn't, in some countries there wasn't, and in some it kind of got part of the way, like in Australia, they were doing uh, QR code scan-ins right. just to go into like restaurants and stuff like that. And then that kind of got repealed, but it was pretty close to just becoming, that's just the way things are done here now. Right. So what's your angle on that part of it? Well, um, let's see if I can answer your question here. Um, it was being attempted in various uh, manners to try to turn your QR code a green pass um, on your cell phone or your uh, vaccine papers into travel papers. And that was that was pretty clear. Um, and if you didn't have any concept of what the Great Reset was beforehand, you might have thought it made sense. Once you kind of start realizing where things are going, you can look back afterwards or, you know, people who knew about this more beforehand could say, wait a minute, you're just trying to, you know, digitally track me everywhere I go, make sure someone has to have travel papers, a digital ID, QR code on your phone, whatever that is. Um, and honestly, I don't know what the solution is going forward. I'm glad that it seems like a lot of people from the COVID stuff, a lot of people figured out that there was something weird going on. I don't know if they track that to you know the world well beyond covid or if they're still just thinking that was covid that was crazy now we've moved on i don't know yeah okay so i've got a slide here called european eid where we have been talking about this on this show uh maybe not since inception but certainly certainly over the last 12 to 18 months we've been uh bringing it up it's been a bit of a theme and the same with the cbdc uh type of stuff and telling people that it's going to be coming and etc and now it's getting to the stage where it's not just theory anymore it, it is happening in real time yes yeah so Europe's, got, kind of, Europe's farther down this road than, than the united states uh-huh so i've got an article here which says uh i'm going to just read a quote from it, it says with a view to ensuring a trusted and secure digital identity for all europeans the council presidency and european parliament representatives reached today a provisional agreement on a new framework for a European digital identity. And then you've got a quote here, with the approval of the European digital identity regulation, we are taking a fundamental step so that citizens can have a unique and secure European digital identity. This is a key advance for the European Union to be a global reference in the digital field, protecting our democratic rights and values, end quote. And that comes from Nadia Calvino, acting Spanish first vice president and minister for economy and digitalization. And then it goes on with the European digital identity wallet, blah, 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 something to people and businesses to secure and trustworthy electronic identification and authentication. Under the new law, member states will offer citizens and businesses digital wallets that will be able to link their national digital identities with proof of other personal attributes e.g. driving license, diplomas, bank account. Citizens will be able to prove their identity and share electronic documents from their digital wallets with a click of a button on their mobile phone. 
the new European digital identity was will enable all Europeans to access online services with their national digital identification, which will be recognized throughout Europe without having to use private identification methods or unnecessarily sharing personal data. User control ensures that only information that needs to be shared will be shared. And that's a segment from this uh, press release that I've got linked on the slides here. People can check that out if they're interested. So walk me through what you make of that kind of a statement. They're just trying to like sneak it in, make it sound like it's a good thing. Um, over here, there's a big push for um, interoperable. That means it can be used across platforms, digital ID through healthcare. So your healthcare records can be uh, accessed via the government or any health professional. You guys are going to see it through travel, money. Um, eventually, the end goal is that that digital ID gets assigned a carbon allocation. And eventually, you get assigned a CBDC, which is then programmable, how far you can travel, where you can spend your money. You can't spend your money outside of your your allotted travel zone or your 15-minute city or whatever it is. So um, it's a way of, um, again, Trojan horsing. I think that's probably the best analogy. Bringing in the system of digital control under something that sounds innocuous or helpful or convenient or whatever it is um, until you get to the point where merely to travel through the checkpoint or to spend your money, you have to have the digital ID because the cash is the economy and the physical IDs or whatnot are gone. Um, and then somebody can start clamping down. Yeah, it certainly is a step in the boiling frog yeah. <laughs> on the yeah. way from, yeah, why you already have your phone. Why don't we link, yeah, your healthcare? Why don't we link your bank? It's what it's these, they literally highlighted these words in the article that I read European digital identity, electronic identification, digital wallets, prove their identity, share electronic documents, access online services, and recognize throughout Europe. So even just between those words that were bolded in the article itself, you can see the framework for creating some type like a passport system that we already have. Uh, and I'm not an expert on passports, but what I am fairly sure is like they didn't, you didn't need, used to need them to travel in the way they did. They were for during wartime only. And now they have just become a requirement, right? And Well, you can see like, like France thing. is doing it. France has already been shutting down their short haul flights. Right. You, you have to take a train. That's because of the carbon footprint. They're not shutting down the flights of billionaires on private jets. That's just fine. Uh, yes. Macron has said that loyalty to France, I forget how he worded it, but loyalty to France is unpatriotic. Loyalty to the EU is patriotic. What they're actually doing is just erasing nation states to create their one world digitally managed society. I mean, we know what this is. We also know it doesn't work because the way to resist the tyranny of one very powerful person is you get thousands and thousands of normal people all networking, working together. Now, all those people speak French. We call that France. You know, I mean, that, and it works. You got, yes. I don't know how many, 50 million people or something are in France. You know, when they all decide to work together, that's pretty damn powerful. When you get 80 million Germans and they all decide to work together, that's pretty powerful. If you just have um, atomized individuals with a digital ID and their bug allocation, their CBDC allocation living in their pod, there's no way to resist somebody imposing their will. So you have yes. no power, you have no control. And that's where you, honestly, you get into the, the cluster B personality disorders, the people with the God complex. If you are nothing, if you're at zero, then they can rule over you like a God and they get to, they get off on being in charge right. of everything. Yeah. Yes, yes. Okay, so you have people in society who are biased towards a sort of authoritarian tendency. Yeah. They're the ones who 
get into the UN, who get into government, whatever, because it's it's natural. If you are attracted to power and ruling over people, of course, that's what you get into. And they're now creating this uh, system of a linked together digital identity where at the click of a button, they can just shut down any individual that they like, who is obviously uh, will in the extreme case be the ones protesting and, and trying to prevent uh, that being the the system that we all operate under, of course, then it's you know who 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 who's the one who gets to push the button, who gets to decide who to switch on and off, and well, and, actually, it's going to be who gets to program the AI, and the AI yeah, can scan every email, every text, um, every phone call, eventually, you know, voice voice transmission, uh, voice um, voice recognition, and yeah. be able to say, uh oh, Jeremy, he's spreading dangerous misinformation. He he said the COVID virus might have come from Wuhan. Yeah. You're not allowed to travel. Your money's frozen. Whatever. I mean, we see that with uh, Christia Freeland up in Canada. You know, the truckers. Zero due process, zero court hearings, zero charges filed. Their money is frozen. Yes. Yes. And we did cover that uh, extensively on this show. So okay. this is where I get to, okay, we've talked about all the background. We've talked about this uh, digital identity is is coming into it. So here it really gets to the the pointy end of uh, like we were mentioning before people are busy right people are not going to take hours and hours out of their time to listen to you to listen to me to think through all these larger societal issues they're trying to feed their family and get dinner and watch a movie once in a while to blow off some steam and like you know go to the football on saturday night so we're not our, trusting babies trying to control everybody else. Like we actually have like jobs and lives. And stuff. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Both the advocates and the people we're trying to reach are busy and they've got a lot right, going right. on. So it's hard to make time for this, even if in the grand scheme of things, this is like critically important. So you said people have been waking up a bit from the coronavirus stuff. Do you see any other patterns? Like for instance, uh, one of the things that, cryptocurrency advocates are very familiar with is people don't uh, really care about the banking system until it bites them, you oh, know, right, right. until their account gets suddenly right. shut, like right. somebody else's account got shut down, whatever. But my account got shut down. Now I fucking right. care. Or right, right. what about if, uh, you know, these, uh, okay, they're instituting some changes of policy, blah, 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 blah. And then it's like, well, I can't withdraw over this certain $2,000 that I, why not? Where it's yeah, I'm going kind of down take that, it out. Yeah. Been going down that rabbit hole. Yes, very, very, very fast. So it's like I imagine those are the kind of things that get on your radar too. But is there any other um trends or things you think we can point to or highlight that help people to understand the net like how pernicious this is faster? Well, you know, that's a good question. I mean if what I've run into is, is there's a lot of people who are suspicious about like a handful of different issues. They kind of look at the green energy and the battery powered trucks and they're like, oh, that's not like, that's not going to work. How do you turn all your cars into electric and then turn off the nuclear power plants, Germany? Like something's not adding up, right? Or it could be like the race issues or something. Cause over here, Black Lives Matter, I mean, it's just notorious the amount of money that they've been embezzling. Um, and people look at that and they're like, like, I don't, I don't have a beef with black people. Something's not fair. Let me know. And then they, they look at this. A lot of the, like, I've been watching the UK. Like, you can put up the, like, the Pride Progress flags everywhere, but you can't put up the UK flag or the English flag or something. 
people can look at that and be like, that's kind of weird, you know? So I've seen a lot of people pick up on these little different pieces, but I haven't seen as many people tie it all together. That's kind of the, that's kind of the bigger problem is that when you actually look at it, there's a strategy coming from the UN World Economic Forum called Everything Everywhere All at Once. Kind of self-explanatory. They attack everything everywhere all at once. So, um, so yeah, a lot of people have seen like little sections of it. I was at a meeting the other night with a bunch of farmers who were talking about, uh, you know, diesel fuel, fertilizer, that sort of thing. And, um, you know, they were, it was sad because they're usually the people I found that are pretty based are like blue collar, brown collar, working class people. Like the laptop class, I think they just live in their heads and online and there's a lot they don't get. But like people who get dirty for a living, like they, they, they kind of get when something's off. You know, they're like, ah, this, this ain't right. Um, and even a lot of them were like, well, we're trying to save the environment. And I'm like, you guys know, like the vast majority of the pollution in, in the oceans and air comes from China and India. And they're not subject to these rules. Like you guys get that, right? And they were still trying to like, you know, e- even then, even then who, who could kind of see that there's a little bit of, you know, something messing around up here that they were, they still hadn't quite wrapped their heads around this. So, um, yeah, I don't know how, how we, um, tie all these issues together other than I just try to talk about digital surveillance and see if that's kind of like a door opening and then somebody can go, is this related to green energy? And I can say, actually, yes, it is. Yeah. So walk me through that because this is something that the Bitcoin Cash community is very familiar with. And I mean, there's a whole panoply of uh, cryptocurrencies and I know you're a little bit uh, familiar with that, but I, I don't know to what extent, but what I can tell you just to summarize is that in the original uh, Bitcoin, before it split into multiple versions and before there was 10,000 alternatives, it was a peer-to-peer grassroots uh, movement. You know, you would go around and you would talk to individual people like your friends or even just people at shops and whatever and say, have you heard about Bitcoin? No, you haven't. Like, let me explain it to you and let me download it and send you some, et cetera. Now, after the split and after all everything that went on, Bitcoin Cash still to this day is one of the probably the top definitely in the top three and most of the rest don't care at all about that kind of grassroots missionary behavior to meet people real life to transact with them in an alternative economy and to give them a practical example of it because you could talk someone's ear off forever and that's you know then you try and refer them to the podcast or whatever exactly exactly but they need to see it work in front of them right there right so right. we have a lot of people that are familiar with these kind of face-to-face situations so it seems to me like you're trying to do the same thing and when you showed right. us before that piece of paper that's a perfect example can you talk me through from the from the very start in in a bit more like specific detail so we can learn and copy any of these ideas when you're encountering somebody let's say you go into a petrol store a grocery uh what's it called Diesel, you're, you're filling up your car and you go into the cash register. How do you approach that situation and how do you get your message across to them quickly and easily? Um, I just pull cash out of my wallet here in America. It's a $20 bill. I'm not sure what you guys do over there. Um, and I have a handful of these in my wallet. This is that prints forward to a page. It's on my website and download it. Um, I just pay cash and ask them if they've ever heard of CBDC, ask them if they've ever heard of a carbon wallet and kind of mention, you know, this is the way the UN wants to handle climate change. Find all your purchases with carbon score, right? Credit card companies are already working on that right now. I've got a link to that on my website. Um, and just, you kind of feel that because you don't know who you're talking to. Some people, they know exactly what you're talking about. And some people are totally clueless. So you just, 
it's a conversation, 30 seconds or a minute. And then I found if you leave someone like a little, you know, flip of paper, something they can read, it registers more. You know, they can look at it a couple of times. They can check out the website. Um, more than just having a conversation, you know, and walking out the door and they never hear from me again. And three minutes later, the whole conversation's gone. So what I do is, um, well, I do two things. One, when I'm spending cash, when I'm out just like doing my thing and you're, you know, grabbing lunch or whatever, spend cash, hand someone a little flyer. Um, and then uh, that's probably something that people who are on following you could do as well that I would recommend. Um, if you kind of see where things are going and you see that there's just more and more chaos coming because we don't know what it's going to be. But so far, the people behind this aren't in jail. Right. So we know the chaos is going to keep coming and we know in some manner that's going to be a move towards total digital surveillance. So people who follow your podcast now, they could make their own little flyer. They could use mine, whatever. Either can you read that. it? Can you read out with it? What does it say on this flyer? Just read it out for me. Oh, it has has like a little uh, $1 logo right here. And the front of it talks about a central bank digital currency. Kind of can, you, can you read it specifically? Like I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. Let it, as you're onboarding. Okay. You know, 2,000 people here live rather than one by one. <laughs> I'm paying in cash to support local businesses and resist the move to a cashless economy. In a cashless economy, all transactions are performed with central bank digital currencies. And then I give an example of what central bank digital currencies means. So this allows politicians and bankers digital tracking and control of all your spending. It works like a coupon or a voucher. It's not your money. It can only be spent on approved items. It can be signed a location in which you may spend thus limiting your ability to travel. It can be assigned a carbon score to limit your ability to purchase items like gas and meat. It limits your ability to save cash for emergencies or to escape domestic violence. I figured when you're talking with women, talking about escaping domestic violence, it registers, right? Um, and it may be confiscated or frozen without due process of law. And every transaction is recorded forever. There's no anonymity, no garage sales or swap. It kind of gets people who are used to dealing in cash. And that's, that's the front. And then in the back, I talk about digital ID. And that says it's concurrent with the CBDC. You established a globally coordinated, unique identification for all people, such as a QR code on your phone, fingerprint, retinal scan, face scan, palm print also. Uh, the G20 members, those are the big Western nations, um, and the UN continue to push this, uh, push for digital travel passports. Bill Gates is doing that through Gavi as well. He's been doing that for years. The EU has been doing that for years. Um, and then that says a, a vaccine mandates were used to introduce digital passports. The European Union and yeah, and Gavi have promoted this before, even before COVID. They were doing the same thing. COVID was just an excuse to keep pushing it. Um, and so the World Health Organization pandemic treaty proposed global digital surveillance under the guise of stopping future pandemics. And this too was also promoted before COVID. They're doing the same thing now. It's just a, another reason to do the thing they were doing anyway. And then uh, the last line: facial recognition cameras are being installed throughout the web. So it kind of gets people an idea of what is a digital ID, what is a digital currency, how do these merge, how's that a problem? And it's something somebody can read in like, you know, a minute or whatever there. Um, and I only hand these out when I'm at like a retail establishment. Like I don't go knocking on somebody's door to their house, right? So wherever you're used to seeing customers, you're just paying cash, hand them a little flyer, they can read it on their own and kind of go, ah, I kind of heard about some of that stuff. So at gas stations, do you do it also like in restaurants or at public meetups or what? Um, so that's what I do when it's just me out. I mean, you're not going to spend a thousand bucks on whatever in cash, but a lot of times you're grabbing lunch, you're grabbing a beer, you're grabbing some, I grab some flower stage when you're at the gas station, whatever. Anytime you can spend cash and anytime you can hand a flyer. Um, if you're into garage sales, if you're into farmers market, farmers markets are really good, by the way, um, to kind of get that connection with your local farming community who tend to be grassroots, salt of the earth kind of people, and they tend to like working in cash. 
um, and to talk to them about, um, I'm going to deviate a little bit here. So, so that's basically where I use it. Anytime you're spending 20 bucks, 50 bucks, something like that. Um, one of the best places I was going to suggest for your, your listeners is to, in their local community with their neighbors, their pubs and farmers markets, anywhere you can, kind of knowing what's coming our way, make friends with your farmers and get them signed up on Bitcoin or taking cash or at least looking out for diesel fuel and fertilizer shortages if they're not already seeing it. Um, and one of the great benefits that I found from this is like, I run into some, like I, I'm not young, right? But I talk to a 20 year old who is say into Bitcoin and CBDCs, all of a sudden we're friends. I can also talk to some, <laughs> seven, yes. I can talk to some 70, 80 year old person who's a Christian and being like, this Marxist stuff, you know, this is a satanic religion, right? I mean, it's Luciferian. You guys get that? And like all of a sudden we're friends because I'm speaking their language. And so you really get this huge network. And that's what I'm hoping we can do is get just like a whole bunch of normies out on the street, like just talking to each other, hanging out, being like, yeah, you know, we go to a different church. We don't go to church. We're not the same color. Like, I don't care. Like, whatever. We're on the same team here. We're on team normal people who don't like all this fuckery that's going on. So um, anybody, any one of your followers, if they want to make their own little flyer or use mine, whatever, um, I talk to three, three people a week using these you know, just doing your thing. You know, if you had in any community, 1% of the population, one in a hundred people, two or three times a week, you're talking to people at the end of a year. I mean, think of how many people you can run into at that point and how many people you can get signed up on Bitcoin or thinking about digital surveillance or whatever. Yes. And at the end of the year, every one of those people, they're going to be like, oh, I remember that Jeremy guy. He's the one who knew that these problems were coming. He's the guy who helped me out. He mentioned this to me six months ago. He mentioned this to me four months ago. He mentioned this to me two months ago. And then last month, he signed me up on Bitcoin. Jeremy's a good <laughs> you know? Yes. Yes. No, you're clearly you're clearly a seasoned envoy because that's exactly that's exactly how it goes, right? The PCS community, very, very familiar with that. Like everybody's always, you know, handing out just $1 or 50 cents right. and explaining about fiat currency and inflation and et cetera, et cetera. And then, of course, what happens if you mention it? And then, like, there's a couple of restaurants around here that I, you know, I, I, I try to see the idea in their mind. You tell it as a joke a couple of times. Hey, do you take Bitcoin? And they laugh. And, ha, ha. and then you tell it a couple more times. They go, you asked about that a couple of times. You know, oh, maybe we'll think about it. I'll look into it. But it's a big thing. They're not going to do it for one customer. But right. they, it gets on their mind. And then they see it in the news. And then they see it, you know. And then next time, eventually, they come to you and they say, where do I find out more? Right? Right, right. So it's, it's usually not the first time. But if you talk to someone over the course of six months and you keep going back there to the pub or the farmer's market or whatever, and you're like, Bitcoin, you know, you guys want to talk about this? Spending cash, you know, eventually they get to know you, eventually they get to trust you. Maybe they do a little research on their own. And then sometimes you go up there and you're like, hey, Bitcoin. And they're like, yeah, sign me up. And you got a friend and you got one more person. Um, kind of what I'm hoping is that if you listen to like Schwab and company and whatnot, um, they've sounded a bit more anxious recently because they can tell enough people are waking up. And the issue is when you wake up and start wrapping your head around it and you get past the whole, this is can't be true because it's crazy. And you go, no, true things are true, regardless of whether or not they're crazy. Um, yes. Like you don't go back to sleep. And so my hope is if you get enough, you know, parents who are homeschooling, people running for school boards, that's the thing around here, um, enough people on Bitcoin, enough people opting out of, you know, fiat currency, enough people going down and talking to the local city council, enough people electing like a local sheriff who actually knows what's going on and understands the constitution. Um, you know, eventually you're going to get to the point where you got guys like, um, like Rishi Sunak, 
who was hard into central bank digital currencies. And lately yeah. he's had to back off the whole EV mandate. Like Ford Motor Company got pissed off at him because they lost like four and a half billion dollars trying to push everything into EV. And he's like, well, maybe we got to back off a little bit. Um, so, I mean, you get enough people involved in this, you can start applying the pressure where it needs to apply and you can start like peeling off people who are part of this or at least make them go down a little bit. Like even every little incremental win is still part of a win. Like we're going to turn the corner, but it's going to take like death by a million cuts. We've got to have a million people out there just poking like every day, just a little bit. Um, and to poke every day, just a little bit, honestly, like it can't take huge time or huge money because none of us have that. And that's why it's 30 seconds while I'm checking out. I can print up enough of these for a year for like 10, 15 bucks, you know, super easy. And every time you come into contact with someone, they know that Jeremy's a good guy. Now I have a quote here on the slides, which I'm, 95% sure I, I got off your Twitter feed, which is that most of our neighbors are clueless, not subversive. And when I read that, I thought that does kind of summarize it there. Have you had any instances of people pushing back or getting angry at you or attack you or anything like that in this sort of awareness raising you've been on? I've been blown off by a few people. I've had a few people who wrap their heads around it, you know, right away. Um so far, no one's got like pissed off at me because I mean, it's so much harder to get pissed off at someone when you're looking them in the eye and you're being yes. genuine and sincere about something that affects them. I mean, you got to be kind of mentally ill to yell at that person. So um, I haven't had that issue. Um, I would say that brings up a, an awesome point, though, that I look at this as targeting basically like three people or three groups of people. Right. Most of them are just your normies who've never heard of this, which is perfect. Maybe you can get them signed up to Bitcoin. Maybe you can get them thinking about digital surveillance. The second thing you can try to do is to get the people like us who kind of know what's going on. How do we get out there on a regular basis and spread the word? Because whatever's going on with Twitter or the BBC or the Canadian Broadcasting Company or like whatever it is, it's not sufficient because most people still don't know what we're talking about. So how do you have like an uncancelable grassroots movement? It's just us talking and we get out there and we get the next person, the next person, the next person to start doing a thing every day just a little bit but every day and then the third group which is kind of important is like the the wackadoodles the reactionaries the people who might turn violent if something crazy happens and to reach them and be able to go take it easy there's people involved in this who know what's going on and we're pushing back the last thing we want to do is freak out and put something on the tv screens for everyone to look at and go oh my god all those radicals look what they're doing we need to crack down on the media we need to crack down on digital currencies we need to crack down on the internet um, just to get them to kind of like, because I ran into a couple of them, just like, you know, tone it down and be like, look, there's a, we're not surrounded by crazy people. We're surrounded by clueless people. And just yes. one at a time, we wake them up. Yes. Yes. Making a lot of sense. Okay. So when it comes to CBDCs, we are now starting to see, and I've got a quote here from the Boston Fed from their Project Hamilton, which I've mentioned before on the show and i do probably myself need to do a bit a bigger deep dive into it but i have a quote here which says this second architecture demonstrated throughput of 1.7 million transactions per second with 99 percent of transactions durably completing in under a second and the majority of transactions completing in under half a second it also appears to scale linearly with the addition of four servers so what that is to say is that there are already systems in place to roll out a currency, a CBDC, 
which would be controllable, which the government could delete the money of political activists or anybody they didn't like. And eventually through AI systems, anybody having wrong think will just get their currency. And really uh, that threat being there is enough to shut some people down. Yes. Well, most people, right? Uh, it's it's a social hysteria, right. a social uh, bystander problem type of thing, right? If everybody's afraid, nobody makes right. a move and then everybody stays afraid, right? So you already have that system in place because critically from the Bitcoin Cash perspective, you know, we're trying to make a free currency that can work at a global scale. And that's not trivial unless you're doing it from a centralized server, in which case it's a lot easier. And these guys are already there. So we are trying to catch up on the tech front to be feasible at that scale without without losing the open permissionless nature of it. But And that's why you like Bitcoin Cash, is that right? Yes. Yes. So uh, obviously there's loads more, you know, on my channel and stuff, you can look into all of it. But essentially the difference in the civil war, which happened in 2017, and I'm sure this is oh, actually a lot, yeah, will be that uh, the same, you know, the powers that be came in and they, they had to put a stop to this, right? And so what did they do? Same things they always do, right? Censorship, media manipulation, influencing a couple of the key people, which in this case happened to be the software developers, okay. paid them off with big salaries and said, you know, this Bitcoin thing, which you're using as a grassroots peer-to-peer currency, maybe just stop that. What if it was just an investment asset that a few people held in a bank account and will one day be traded against the CBDC that we'd have control over, right? And so- They wait for BlackRock to pull out their paper Bitcoin. So they got a, like a, a derivative- Exactly. <laughs> that's right. And that's what that's what we're seeing today. And the the, Bitcoin, the, yeah. the divergence between the BTC and BCH at the time that the communities fractured, you could arguably say that the ideological split happened earlier than the actual network oh, okay. split into, right? There was uh, a period of contention as both sides were vying for control of the brand and everything. Anyway, the BCH side in my mind, and hopefully in your mind too, the good guys, we lost. We lost. And the the BDC guys won with the orange, you know, they got the orange branding, they got all the clout, and later on they got all the hype and media attention. But here they are today, shilling out for the Wall Street, come in, BlackRock, buy up our coins, whatever. And it's like you're saying, where people can kind of know something's wrong. And that's why Bitcoin has not gone viral in the public's awareness is because you ask people about it and they're like, Bitcoin, I thought that was some counter counterculture type of, you know, against the banks and everything. But then they run into these other Bitcoin people. They see these headlines where it's all about like Michael Saylor when buying up more shares of Bitcoin. <laughs> he literally calls them the shareholders rather than like the Bitcoiners. So it's very hard to get a message through with, with that. Uh, you know, bullshit, <laughs> I guess, with that propaganda well, all being put over the top. Well, over here, like um, all of corporate, I call it corporate media, not so much Main Street media, because so much of it is just corporate filling, um, even like the news. I mean, if you're not paying for it, you are the product being sold. So things like for us, CNN, MSNBC, Fox, all of them, um, they're just tanking. Like nobody likes them. And that's why we're talking about earlier, like Joe Rogan's getting super popularity. He's outside of that. There's an amount of authenticity and uh, truth in what he's doing. Um, you know, so I, 
that's why I kind of came at it from my direction. Is that Joe Rogan's doing the Joe Rogan thing. We don't need another Joe Rogan. We don't need another Jordan Peterson or another Neil Oliver or James Melville, a couple guys over in your area. Um, what we need are just people on the street who can get out there a little bit every week and do something. And that's what I'm hoping, like, maybe some of your followers, if, they, if they're wondering what to do, one of the best things you can do to push back on all this great reset um, is to get people signed up on, like, a Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, whatever that is. Um, and to raise awareness about it. Um, and that happens like we we're talking about earlier, just one person at a time, one conversation at a time, just make it part of your life where it's not a huge amount of money or time, but you just keep making those relationships. And that is rebuilding the social fabric. Um, we were talking about earlier, part of the whole critical theory is the giant divide and conquer strategy, just get everybody invite, which is exactly what, you know, any government's going to do to any other government they want to weaken. You just get all the citizens invited. And one of the best ways to Fix that is just to go look someone in the eyes and be like, hey, I ain't got to beef with you. Have you heard about this? Can I help you out? You know, and all of a sudden you're starting to make friends, you know, and like we were talking about um, as well, people who are um, have the internal locus of control and really strive to do good things and grow as an individual versus tearing other people down. There's a certain amount of respect you have for those people, regardless of what color they are or what age they are, or man or woman. You're like, oh, here's a pretty based person who's like doing good things in a realm totally different from mine. But they're a totally chill person. I can relate to those people. Okay, we've got a slide here for question of the week, which is a new segment on the show. And we had Queen Ofiuka at G underscore R E L Y T at G Relit uh, write in and asked a couple of weeks ago Are you afraid of World War Three being incited by the powers that be as the fiat cycle? dies so as you know uh the fiat currency printing and inflation and people wake up and this all comes to a bit of a head do you think we're all going to get nuked is it is it all going to be game over what's your take um that's a good question i think we're already in world war three i think it's an information war um and it's already been waged upon us and one of the biggest mistakes that we're going to make is to think that national borders are the he determining boundary the battle lines yeah rather than who's in the elite club and who's the norm um i think military conflicts are just going to be a distraction or part of a a battle in the larger information war that we're actually fighting i think if you frame this as just a global information war and the nation states and the guns are all just collateral they're all an aside to what is fundamentally going on i think that you're it may not be the correct perspective, but I think it really helps if you kind of like look at it through that lens. But if the good guys win, are the bad guys going to just going to let off the nukes? Fuck it. Let's all burn then. Well, the problem is, is that we all got to live on this planet. So if somebody lets off the nukes, I mean, even if you have an underground bunker and you want to live there for 10 years, I mean, you're still living on a planet that's just got nuked. So um, in some manner, somebody might someday. I mean, I don't put that as a zero chance. And if you look at this, we are actually dealing with like, cultish people like if you look at the mass death under mao stalin hitler like people with that mindset are still around and some of them work at the un and the world economic forum and the world health organization so it's not that it can't happen um i'm going to bet that the people behind this movement are going to be more strategic than that and they're going to have uh conflicts like we see between like israel and gaza right now like there's a whole bunch of Without getting into the Israel Gaza and the people, there's just a whole bunch of stuff in that area that just does not look right. Like, for example, why was the Israeli border that poorly guarded on the anniversary of the Yom Kippur War? 
for that long? I mean, some of the stuff, I don't know the answer. It looks false flaggy. Some of the COVID stuff looks false flaggy. The 2S LGBTQ stuff looks false flaggy. The BLM stuff looks false flaggy. There's like so much of this where there's like a kernel of truth or there's something real that happened as the Trojan horse for a whole bunch of BS that's just meant to break down society. So I'm going to bet that nukes aren't going to be by any means the first choice, but that doesn't mean there isn't going to be some sort of mass death and chaos and destruction, you know, which is all the more reason why to go make friends with a farmer and a nurse and your neighbors. Yes. <laughs> go make some friends right now. Yes, just in case. Jed, do you have an yeah. answer? Are we getting are we getting nuked? World War Three? I guess the question is World War Three, not specifically the nukes. So I like this angle that World War Three is already under an information war. It's not about the nukes. But this was kind of how I took it. Is the apocalypse incoming if we win? So I think it really depends on, well, if we, it will get worse before it gets better, right? If the fiat cycle dies, listen, it's going to be rough, <laughs> but I'd like to see it through. Like, even if that means, uh, like, listen, okay, to me, this is, do we uh, accept that people will die quicker uh, to achieve a admirable goal or continue uh, keep keep on keeping on with something where like you know there's that there's the famous clip of Roger Veer crying because babies are getting murdered right like uh, I'd much rather and this isn't to say that without fiat like these things won't exist um, but giving a little more transparency to their existence, I think will be beneficial. I don't think I'm really that concerned, to be honest. Like, uh, as long as there is not, as long as I can avoid going to war, yeah, I don't, I don't, well, yeah, I don't, I can't, you might I can't, you know, get drafted. Yeah, I know, that's what I'm getting. <laughs> I'm going to hide in the woods somewhere. <laughs> on my part, I'm not too worried that we're all going to die in a fiery nuclear apocalypse. And my reasoning is, well, firstly, there's nothing I can do about it. But secondly, even if there was, uh, I just have faith that humanity is not programmed to self-destruct. Whoever it is with their finger on the nuclear button, they're not only consigning themselves to death and destruction, but all of their family and everyone that they know. So even if you are Vladimir Putin or Kim Jong-un or whoever, who might be pretty crazy, there's just some, I just have this faith that there is some part of the human DNA sequence that just says, don't do that, guys. And every and humanity has been close to, you know, the Cuban Missile Crisis. And there was that one guy who said, let's not launch the rockets by the way look into that if you don't know there was some russian guy who got ordered to fire off the nukes and he said no let's just hold up a second <laughs> he saved the whole human race right i just yeah I, I just think it's gonna i'm an optimist i think i think we're gonna be okay and i think even if we destroy the whole banking cartel and everything they they they'd still rather live in a world under the bch standard than everyone dies uh, including them so that's my that's my take but i mean you know there are like you say there is 
you know, suicide cults is a real oh, thing. So it's the wrong there. person, yeah, the wrong person that has their finger on the button, you never know. And that's a risk we're perpetually running, I guess, until we get interplanetary. So luck, uh, you know, with the SpaceX crew for that <laughs> that kind of thing. That's that's not a not a problem I'm attacking just yet. Don't have time for it. All right, I've got a slide here, blind apes. So we've talked about a whole lot of uh, heavy stuff, but we have to also just touch a bit on the current crypto thing of the week. There's always something going on in the crypto circus. This week, it was Yuga Labs who famously have the Bored Apes NFT series and made a lot of money from that. They hosted a party uh, with attendees reporting severe eye burn because they used some UVC lights to make a sort of neon atmosphere. And instead of using the regular ones that we just have at a club or whatever kind of setup, they they bought the wrong ones and used some potentially industrial strength uh, UVC light, which then burned the eyesight of at least some of the people involved into temporary, if not permanent, blindness I don't know uh, what the exact numbers or stats were. It was certainly quite unclear at the time of uh, this reporting. Jet, you've got a little uh, video here. We've got the slides. You can see the kind of neon setup that they had going there, and you can imagine uh, these these lights and also a quick little video of uh, these guys jumping around at, at ApeFest. Charlie, you won't be able to see this, uh, but let me just... Send you the, the link to the tweet, and you can just have a quick look at it on your other screen, or not. It's like it's just a bunch of people jumping on screen. So, question for you guys: um, Do you like to save and spend in Bitcoin Cash? Do you save in one, spend in something else? I've heard some people save in Bitcoin and spend Monero. You know, they they like they like to do it in different ways, or save in Bitcoin and then put it on uh, what we feel like on a credit card or something like that. What do you guys prefer to do? Well, uh, obviously, the position of this podcast is that everything should just run on BCH. That's what it means, global reserve currency. Everybody in the world can transact with everybody else or who volunteers to. It's not forced on anybody, but in the end, the network effect will make it essentially universal. And yeah, you, I, I save in BCH, spend okay. BCH. That that That's it. You're only divorced from a fiat system once once you've got that going would i be opposed to you know obviously in my history in cryptocurrency i have used various other ones here and there not to any great extent none of them have really caught on to me that much i mean the monero community go on and on about how they've got superior privacy and some people sort of believe okay well btc is the biggest so i'll put most of my money in there but then i'll use some of the other more payments focused one for payments that's also a strategy. If it gets people out of fiat currency, it gets them out of fiat currency. But my general attitude is that in the long run, once BCH starts getting a bit more traction, uh, which it is is slowly doing, you know, like Bitcoin before the split was just taking over and there was no competitors. You didn't need any because one currency was just fine and it just worked and it was just taking off. Now in the aftermath of the split since the guys who wanted to scale the network and keep growing lost we've then had to rebuild but as soon as we can get a bit more upward momentum going like we had back then there's just no need for any other currency really that's my take jet 
okay. So the que- like whether I yeah. Do you I don't, use other ones? Do you I, use Monero? Do you use Litecoin? I know you've answered this on the show before, but for Charlie's benefit. Yeah, not anymore. Uh, I I don't use exchanges anymore. So if I'm going to even get another cryptocurrency, it's going to have to be for work. Uh, like I'd have to be earning it in some way. And I think even in that context, I'd ask to be paid in Bitcoin cash because I have more places that I can use Bitcoin cash. It's just more useful for me in my uh, day to day. And um, I'm also not too concerned about like savings at all because I have a pretty decent day job. And uh, so I have two, you know, I've got multiple forms of income. And uh, I think this is like a, 20 30 40 year journey for me um so yeah I'll, i if i can if i can spend it somewhere uh, i will and if i can't then that's not that big of a concern for me and so i inevitably end up saving because there's more places i can spend my fiat than uh, bch but yeah if i could i'd spend bch all day every day i'd completely divorce from fiat. and save it yeah yeah, <laughs> and yeah. save it only and that's and that's the thing. That's in the BCH community. We, uh, you know, we did a recent listener survey, which showed up a trend of more and more people becoming more and more serious about BCH as the one serious alternative. Now, I know you said that there was a burger place near you where the guy was taking Bitcoin, right? And you said you might try and spend some BCH with him. Did you give it a go? How did that play out? It was just regular Bitcoin. He didn't have Bitcoin Cash, so would he take it? Did you try uh, to no. convince him? No. Okay. Um, All right. <laughs> no, I, I'm just, I'm fascinated. You know, because no, I said to you beforehand. Because I, I go talk to people who are about this and I was starting to like try to get into it myself and see if I could help other people get into it. But like no one around me uses it and no one wanted to get into it. I'm like, well, I'm kind of barking up the wrong tree there. Can I spend my time doing something more effective? So I just went back to just talking to people about digital currencies. Got to yes. let that go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it'll it'll come back around. But I just think it's funny because, you know, I warned you when you said, oh, I might transfer BCH with him. I said to you specifically, yeah, he might react negatively to it or he might not be interested and here's the reasons, et cetera, et cetera. Like there's a lot, lot sort of. I posted something on Twitter the other day, just like shit posting something, right? And like in my comments, these two guys went back and forth for like a couple hours, just like yelling at each other about these crypto arguments. And I'm like, Dude, like really? But they were like, no, no, it's gotta be this one. No, no, it's gotta be that one. Like, <laughs> why would you do your way? Your way's stupid because XYZ. I'm like, ah, you guys are so far beyond me. <laughs> yeah, it does get it does get very tribal and and in the weeds. And like you said before, it's the same divide and conquer uh thing. You know, once upon a time the crypto community and the Bitcoin community was the same thing, it was overlapping. And now it's all being fragmented down. So of course we think that our way is the way everyone should and will align on, but you ask someone else, they'll they'll say something. Well different. I don't know if you like a free market in money, because money is just a store of wealth and medium of exchange. So whether that be Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Monero or one of the other crypto anything. Um, you know, the market will decide which one is a good store of wealth, which one is convenient to spend. And each and every one of those is going to force everything else to be honest. So, you know, if nobody wants U.S. dollars anymore or euros or pound sterling because people are going into crypto, then it's going to force U.S. dollars to actually be worth something. And that's a great way to reform a fiat currency system if other people just start ignoring it. 
I think there's a lot of reason to believe, too, that the people in the comments that are arguing back and forth about this and that being the right way to do like those are people that are also i would assume be more interested in accumulating more fiat dollars than uh bringing adoption of those cryptocurrencies unless the adoption means that number go up so the distinction here i think is you know we're aligned because we see fiat and that the fiat system as a common enemy whereas i think a lot of people involved in crypto are like how do i make more dollars Right, so just back on this uh, blind apes thing before we move on, the reason that I bring it up is because there was people, again, on Twitter kind of getting in there, ha-ha, these guys are so stupid. We told them, not we told them, but like, of course, these idiots that believe in these stupid monkey pictures are then going to do some stupid stuff. But when you look at the video, it's literally just like a bunch of young men in a warehouse like in their 20s, like jumping around, having a good time. So... Yeah, okay, there was obviously some incompetence there, and I, I really hope and nobody went permanently blind. But the reason it also got on my radar, I thought it was worth mentioning here, is because to get people's attention, sometimes you need to pair a serious message with something fun and interesting and cool, you know, some artwork or some music or just some some culture. You know, if it's all just this dry sort of political theory stuff, it's only going to hit so many people that are interested to take the time out of their day in that regard so i wondered yeah if you could just give us some thoughts from your perspective how you see the crypto industry especially stuff like this and also whether you think there's any utility in your message or in our message or in anything like that being more proactive about adding art and culture to spread a spreading otherwise you know strong message between Twitter and like just me walking around, I do try to make it fun and interesting. I don't want to be just like Mr. Bahumbug anytime I walk in and talk to someone because nobody wants to hang out with that. Um, and for anyone who like knows me or been watching my Twitter account or whatever, I mean, it's obvious like I'm not like a crypto bro or a professional in any of this stuff. Um, I'm happy to say that I totally get schooled by a bunch of people. Um, my whole thing was honestly just trying to get normal people like into the mix. Um, whether that is learning about digital surveillance or getting involved in school boards or city councils or sheriff's races, whatever it is, just get more and more and more people paying attention. Because the, the single biggest problem that I have seen and still see is so many people are lethargic and clueless and don't even know that there's even a problem. And then right at that point, somebody inserts a whole bunch of convenience and universal basic income, free money, as long as you sign up, you know, come get your retinal scan and we'll give you 10 free world coins or whatever. Uh, I'm so glad you mentioned it. <laughs> like, how many people are going to go for that? You know, people are going to go for that. So for me, it's just a matter of like, let's just have grassroots, face-to-face, go talk to people in your own neighborhood, your family, your friends, people at the liquor store where you go anyway, you know, and just be like, hey, there's a thing going on. Here's here, here's what it looks like. Can I help you out with cash, Bitcoin, whatever? And just getting people like aware that there's actually a problem. Because I honestly, I trust that like, if we lived in a world filled with psychopaths, like we're dead, there's no hope. Unfortunately, most people aren't psychopaths. They, they just don't know. So I just want like a whole, a whole society filled with like people actually understanding that there's actually a problem. Like, you know, 1776 and people would look at, you know, British troops just walking into your house because they felt like it. Now we just have American troops walking into your bank account because they feel like it. You know, it's the same thing in a digital realm and just get people going, oh, paradigm shift. I got it. I got it. This is an information war. This is a digital war. Boom. And then now 
normal people can act in their own best interest. They can adopt Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, whatever. They can get involved in however they want to get involved. You just have that many more people, just a mass of people actually working together. It's kind of the, the connectedness of the internet is really interesting because I've connected with people in like France and Germany because they're having the same battle you guys in the UK, whatever. And there's actually like, I think it's kind of funny. There's like a global proletariat forming with normal people throughout the world, right? Who are into Bitcoin or whatever, just into being free people who are actually telling like these Marxist douchebags to go to hell. And it's, it's just lovely to see it happening. You know, just see like, throughout the world being like, oh, no, the, the British and the Germans, and be like, yeah, that's fun at the soccer match, football match, right? But in real life, nobody has a beef. You're more than happy to help someone out, get into Bitcoin or whatever, and, you know, live like a normal person. Yeah, exactly. It's it's always funny what unites things and the the powerful against the rest, the 1% occupy yeah. Wall Street, yeah. tale as old as time itself really you know go back and if we're the, busy the yelling fairness. at the corporations which aren't actually a thing if we're busy yelling at this thing or that thing you know if you're if you're yelling at you know some race or some ethnicity or some immigrant or some corporation you're not yelling at an actual person who's actually behind the problem that you're facing so it's really easy to say they them and the corporations and wall street but that doesn't actually solve anything all it does is you're spinning your wheels and wasting your time and energy you actually have to go okay what do i do as an individual person to actually, you know, do something positive. And a lot of times that's just going out and like talking to your community and going like, there's actually a problem going on here. Let's talk about it. You know, and that's huge. That's huge. Yeah. You mentioned information warfare. Obviously we're veterans of that with a weekly segment called meme of the week. This week <laughs> it's from Elon Musk <laughs> who has made a post. Yeah. We called best economist ever. It has an image with a quote here which says, I do not think it is an exaggeration to say history is largely a history of inflation, usually inflations engineered by government for the gain of governments, end quote, F.A. Hayek, the right. famous economist, and next to it, he has a picture of Salma Hayek <laughs> um, with her breasts half hanging out of her top to obviously grab people's attention on their Twitter feed and it's got nearly 50 million views this one this one post so uh, this made me laugh when I saw it this is actually a classic Sal the agorist uh, is another Twitter account and he regularly does these kind of posts okay with Selma Hayek specifically actually and lots of these quotes and so forth but oh they're all uh, epic quotes with Selma Hayek yeah, he does some other ones too where he just he complete, makes it completely, there's not even a joke about that. Like it'll be like Taylor Swift, but then the quote will be from some, you know, like ancient philosopher or something like that, you know. <laughs> the visual just gets people to stop and check it out. It's funny how our brains are, are, are wired like that. But this one really made, made me laugh and it also just made me realise like the, the story is getting out there as, as much as, the situation kind of seems bad when you see this, uh, you know, European IDs rolling out and so so on and so forth, especially during coronavirus. That was pretty, pretty brutal. But there's the the flame is still there and more people than you expect are kind of getting the message. That's what I take away from this. Jeff, well, one of the <laughs> one of the very um, like notable, I don't know. Thing that came to my mind is during COVID, like over here in the United States, we, we know the the vax mandates were a push for digital ID. 
And over here, about 20% of the people just opted out and they said, no, nah, I don't need it. I don't want it. I'll take you to court. I'll fight it. Fire me. Whatever. I'm not doing it. And it fell flat. Um, and that's going to be just kind of like any political term in terms of anybody's country. You get about 20% of the people that are just going to opt out who know what's going on. It's going to fall flat. And so if you can manage um, something like that and say Europe, UK, whatever, you don't need everybody on Bitcoin. You don't need everybody paying attention. You just need to get to the point where you got enough people who can say, nope, I'm opting out. I'm not doing this system that you're trying to impose here. We're doing our own thing over here. We have our parallel economy. We have our doctors, nurses, ranchers, farmers, teachers, whatever. We're homeschool our kids. We're not doing your new way. And then, you know, the support saying you only have one choice. It's the new system. That support just keeps dwindling and dwindling and dwindling. And then the alternative system grows and grows and grows. Um, and it also forces the people pushing us, pushing us on us to get more draconian on the next one, which is going to wake up that morning more people. You know, so it's it's one of those things like every time you can get someone to be thinking about digital surveillance or adopt Bitcoin or talk to their kids about civil rights, you know, whatever it is, every one of those battles adds up and you're just bringing one more person to your side of the ledger. Pull them over, pull them over one at a time, and whatever happens in 2024, you got that many more people on your side, that many more people in your circle of friends, that many people in your, your, you know, your network, your support network, and you just keep doing that every day. Uh, I have something way less serious. <laughs> like this meme just takes me Man, back <laughs> to middle school, dude. Where it's like. Oh, that's got my attention. And then there's this existential moment of like, like, I don't know. What am I more attracted to here? Is it <laughs> the imagery? <laughs> is it the ideology? Is it the the potential for other people to like kind of be exposed to the concepts? But I'm also just a curiosity for my own sake. I want to know the demographics of this tweet specifically. I want to know <laughs> the gender breakdown of people who are liking it, bookmarking it, sharing it. Uh, age breakdown would also be super cool. Is there a community note on this? Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay. I've got the tag there that says rate proposed community notes because I got into community notes to be one of the people rating it because I wanted to get myself prepared in case at some point some big BDC person is going to put up some serious misinfo. And if I can just jam like the white paper or something into the community notes, that would be brilliant. But then I took my phone number off Twitter because you can get SIM swapped and they can, you can get hacked if you have it, but then you take it off, then you can't write into community notes. So I've got it, but I can't even write on it. So that seems like a bit of a bit of a bug that needs to be fixed. But uh, I was wondering what possible community note could be on this <laughs> well it could be you know Salma Hayek did not say this it's a misleading attribution you know but anyway that's the, that's that's the joke people get that all right we got uh, one more meme of the week too um, because I couldn't find a good community comment of the week so guys you got to up your game nobody really said anything great this week uh this one is terminator i started researching cbdc on the left sarah connor right and then uh six weeks later it's like geared up ready to fight with the the bch and going to going to war this is kind of how it feels to me i don't know about you but this is this is what you're handing out those stickers right the the piece of paper people are going to be like yeah yeah haha yeah i'm reading this and then it's like oh yeah serious do you get anybody that comes back to you and is like no i'm i'm full i'm full down the rabbit hole i've ran into a few people who know what's going on honestly like um there's so many people who just don't want to get involved so many people just want to like hang out on the sidelines 
and honestly, you know, that's me too. I'd, I'd rather just go hide in a cave somewhere. I mean, if I had my choice, I'd be living out in a cabin in the woods. You'd never hear from me again. So, um, I don't know. No, not too many crazy people. Honestly, it's, it's harder to kind of get people involved. And that's kind of why I was trying to make it like really easy to say, look, you know, you know, you know, if there's something going on, you can't expect everybody else to do the heavy lifting, do something. Yeah. <gasps> That's it. Okay, we got our second last slide. Every guest on this show gets a message to the community where they can just free talk, whatever opinion, idea, bit of advice or story that they think the Bitcoin Cash community at large or the you know the viewers of this podcast needs to hear. So if you could say anything to the Bitcoin Cash community, what do they need to hear? Go get involved face to face talking to people. Um, if you think I'm wrong, go tell everyone where you think I'm wrong. Um, if you think I'm right, go tell all your family and friends where you think I'm right. Um, we don't get out of this by people tweeting on, you know, sitting on Twitter, sitting at home behind their screens. We get out of this. We move to someplace better by people sitting down face to face, sorting this out, making friends, working together, finding a finding a way forward. And that you can't beat face to face conversation. Yeah, exactly. So nothing, nothing beats good sit down i'm partial to having a nice non-alcoholic beer as well too but you know any uh any kind of drink any kind of beverage will usually also aid things in the right direction in that regard so yeah get get in people's face talk to them face to face right supporter appreciation for the show thank you very much to our donators thank you very much to our patrons ricky and hp thank you to our sponsors general protocols check out bchbull.com and we don't have any flip starter shout outs because as you heard if you're not paying for it you're the product so time to chip in some stats on the flip starter otherwise you guys are going to be the product i'm going to sell you the fuck out <laughs> i'm just joking i'm just joking <laughs> It's all, it's all good. It's all good. The revolution is priceless. <laughs> but uh, a few sads definitely uh, wouldn't help. So thank you, everybody, for watching. We've got the Start Guide FAQ links at www.bitcoincashpodcast.com. If you're new to the show, listen to episode 85. That will break down and explain all of what's going on here. And final shout-outs, Charlie, where can people find more of you? And is there anything else you want to specifically shout out? Oh, um, website is www.resistcbdc.com. Um, I've got a download page there with just like letters you can send to a politician, newspaper, whatever, where it's already kind of pre-written, nice, easy format. It's all free. I'm not scanning or tracking anybody. Um, and then uh, Twitter's uh, resist underscore CBDC. Yeah, you're pretty active on there and you've you've got actually pretty good pretty good reach. So I highly recommend people follow you there. Jet, do you have any shout outs this week? No shout outs. And uh, what shout outs do I have? I always I never like to sort of pass up the opportunity. Um I'll give a shout out to anybody who was at the there's a screenshot on one of these slides earlier. Um here, the P2P discussion slide where I was in Bournemouth Square and I saw a bunch of people. This was 
last year protesting the social credit system and they were doing the same thing they were handing out flyers mm-hmm. and there were people getting involved and asking questions and honestly it was a bit of a motley brigade like there was uh, it wasn't necessarily the world's most well organized or compelling thing in my view but they were out there they were handing it out and it really you know i picked up one of those flyers i didn't stop to talk to them all about it but it was uh just great to see that the revolution is is happening grassroots and people are there and people know and maybe it's not that easy to see in your day-to-day life because you know, like you're saying, if, if nobody's talking about it, then nobody else talks about it. And then it becomes sort of a, a, a taboo, taboo topic or silent in that in that regard. But I think, yeah, we we are we are winning and people are getting the message, waking up about inflation and about surveillance. So if everybody just keeps fighting the good fight, we'll we'll come out on top. I, I believe that. All right. Also, gonna, thank you. Yeah, go on. Veteran today. Oh, Veterans Day. And you guys are having uh, your celebration at the Cenotaph, right? Is it the Cenotaph for big memorial in London? I assume so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm okay. not an expert on British veterans, but yeah, okay. Shout out to Andy. Your version of Veterans Day, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, you know, my, my dad's active in the Australian military. Okay. So, uh, yeah, anybody anybody in the military who's, uh, who's out there and is one of the good guys as well. Too. Thank you, guys. Shout out to them. Thank you for your service. All right, cool. Well, that will do it for the show. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And until next time. So I started realizing that if you can just find strength just a little bit longer, you will have a crew of people following you along the way. And that is another thing that no one can ever teach you. Because you're going to have to learn that on your own. You're going to have to figure out how to pull that energy out of your mind on your own. It's not... there's no book you can read that all of a sudden I have it. I've got the technique now. I know how to do it. Yeah. No, it's it's a, a grind that you have to start and finish on your own.